For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Christmas pro wrestling interviews because it is me, Nick Hausman, back to host the final best of Winkley 2019 episode here. We have been rocking and rolling all week long. Ten interviews we've already put out this week. Classics, my favorites of the past year. Notable interviews. I mean, we've heard from Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, MJF, Orange Cassidy, Kevin Von Eric, Kurt Angle, Scott Hall, Dolph Ziggler, Effie, and you know what? We're not done yet. Five more interviews here today to showcase some of my favorite from 2019, and we are going big. Woo! We are going very big, because as you know, recently here in December, I did an interview with Ric Flair. Now, I had an unwritten rule where I was going to try not to pick interviews from December to air here on the show, because I didn't want to play something you had just heard recently. I wanted a more collection of what you'd heard throughout the year. But Ric Flair... He didn't just talk to me in December. No, no, no. He talked to me earlier this year as well. So we're going to hop into the Wayback Machine. We're jumping into the time machine. And we're going to go back to July 2nd here in just a moment and hear from the one and only Rick Flair. After that, we're going to go back to September 25th where I interviewed Rocky Johnson. Uh, he had his new book, Soul Man, The Rocky Johnson Story, come out here in 2019. Of course, he's the father of The Rock. And uh, uh, it was just a great interview and I think an awesome compliment right after Rick Flair. And then after Rocky Johnson... You're going to get to hear from none other than Double J, Jeff Jarrett. You know, earlier this year, they did that Raw 25th anniversary special, and Jeff showed up, and it was like, wow, cool. I know Jeff. I'll reach out to him. We'll get this interview. He did this interview where I did not know at the time. We found out in the days after this interview was recorded, Jeff had resigned with WWE. He'd come on as a producer. So this is a very unique moment in time here with that Jeff Jarrett interview. After Jeff, this was a big one. I got a lot of requests to include this in the best of 2019 list. Ray Mysterio, Booyaka, Booyaka, 619, Ray Mysterio, that one went down on June 7th, and then right after Ray Mysterio, you're going to get to hear my August 11th interview, SummerSlam weekend, with the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, and, uh, an eclectic, wonderful mix here today, I can't wait to put it into your ear holes, so you know what, let's get to it. My guest at this time is the styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, who has had a hard time keeping his alligators down for a long time. He is the 16-time world heavyweight champion. It is the nature boy, Ric Flair. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here today. Oh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity. Man, you how are, are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you doing? You are like you're you're right out of the hospital here and living life times ten at the moment. Actually, I'm the best Nick that I have been in ten years. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, you know, they finally got it right. I hope, and I, I'm, <laughs> and trust me, I say that with bated breath because. <laughs> Sometimes I find myself sitting around waiting for it to go bad again, but it's um, um, it's kind of like um, taking an old car and putting a whole new engine in it, right? Sure. 
and you got to drink it. You got to play around with it and tighten the screw here and turn that turn a valve here, whatever. But that that's what it took. It was the final piece uh, after having uh, let me see three consecutive surgeries in five weeks. I went in for that fourth one, which was like the reason it got so blown out of proportion was that I, because of protocol, I had to walk through the emergency room, which was all of 30 seconds to get into the hospital just for a protocol because yeah. I couldn't breathe. And, uh, but I didn't go by ambulance or anything like that. I just was walking like real, I just literally couldn't breathe. And then they, um, started looking at me and they found a blood clot in my leg and that, that it, which I'd had for years, but had gone away. A little piece had gone to my lung and I got rid of that. So I spent three days there cleaning up late with Lasix because I had fluid on my heart from the, <clears throat> from all the anesthesia from the three other surgeries. Yeah. They put massive Lasix in me and they put Q-Unit in me and, then they fixed me, and I—I I mean, it, I, it's like night and day. I mean, the next day I knew that I was as good as I've ever been. And I literally, prior to February, I was running like level seven on a treadmill, you know. Which, I mean, that's how good I felt. It, prior to that, now all of a sudden, uh, they put me on some medication because I, um, my, um, I was going into AFib periodically. You know what that means? So when your heart goes out of rhythm, yeah. So. And they gave me some medication that caused the breathing problems. And literally from February 20th until I got this done a month ago, I was having problems off and on with the breathing, which gave me a whole new perspective on people that have um, issues with breathing and um, all the terrible um, things that go with it. So um, I'm great. I feel great. I'm back full speed. Um, I can do anything. Um it healed up. Uh, it healed perfectly because I took the time to do exactly what they told me to the to the T, and um, I'm great. Yeah. Back at work, and uh, you know, just ready to go. Man, thank God. Man. <laughs> so wait, so you know, you you had issues like a couple years ago, obviously, and everybody was worried about you. You came back. I didn't think you were gonna yeah. live the the Ric Flair lifestyle this time around. You come back, and you're like, no. I'm fully living the Ric Flair lifestyle. Why the why the change? Exactly. In, why the change in attitude this time as opposed to when it happened the last time? Well, the last time, I remember, I uh, that's when I almost died. I was um, I had a stoma. I had a, a bag attached to my intestine for a year. Yeah. And I lost forty five pounds, forty three to be exact. And I couldn't walk, and I couldn't. I don't even remember. I didn't have my full memory until. Um, around January. So um, it was, no, I don't think a lot of people, unless you were there, understood how bad it was. I was, after I was 31 days in intensive care, which was 12 days of, uh, um, on the respirator, life support, then another 25 days, 31 total in intensive care, and then 30 days in a rehab facility uh, about three miles from the hospital where I had to learn how to walk and everything again. And when I came home, I was still on an IV and I didn't even know I had the bag attached to me after, after being a month in a rehab center. That's how bad I was. So, 
yeah, my memory was just totally gone, and I don't. I it's come back to me now perfectly, but I I I don't remember any of the events of being in the hospital. Wow, and the so, rehab yeah. I do, but not the hospital. Wow, and so this time around, you you since you're not having to carry around a bag and stuff, I guess you just don't see those hurdles. So now it's just back to being Ric Flair. Again. Well, it's not it's not carrying it around. It was attached to my side. It's just something you learn to live with. You know, we hired full time care, but um. You know, and they took shifts and that, and finally it was just—it's it, just hard to have people that different people taking care of you. It's a very—it's nothing that anybody wants to ever address. Yeah. So my wife went over and took a two-day class in learning how to do it, and she could do it better than they could, just because—and and she, you know, she did it with me, uh, took care of me for a year with me. Wow. Sometimes you have to change just four times a day. You are a nightmare. You're very lucky, I it's guess. Nothing, in that it's nothing anybody wants to ever have. Trust me. Yeah. Avoid that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds right. And so, like, how does how does your family, your friends, you know, you're obviously going to do your thing. Like, how are they feeling about you deciding to just continue to, you know, run at a thousand miles per hour, be thirty five year old Rick? Well, it's not, I'm not. I'm not doing my thing like I used to drinking wise. Okay. Working out and that. I, I think they fully expected that. But sure. um, you know, what what I meant by that was. Is I'm going to have a couple of beers, you know? Why not? Sure. Uh, I've, re- I've come to realize that alcohol is not what caused the problem. Uh, and, uh, what uh, alcohol did and, and did and has caused problems with my heart. Okay. But that wasn't what caused the intestine problem. So um, if I with somebody socially, which uh, I was like last week in Albert, I was down there with my uh, stepson checking him in, and we walked around the college campus. And I love college bars. Anyway, I bet so. you do. You're like, uh, yeah, you, you got. Uh, I I did have a couple beers at Auburn, <laughs> but just beer. I can no, yeah. no 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 vodka. Trust me. It wasn't because the kids weren't trying to buy me one. <laughs> I was about to say, I can only imagine having a few, being at my college bar, and in walks the nature boy, Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically uh, what it was. <laughs> you know, uh, there's this, there's this, there's this documentary, the Bill Murray stories, where everybody like seems to have a Bill Murray. You're, you're kind of the same way. I feel like people, you've you've created so many memories for people just popping up in different uh, places and doing different things. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is. You know, it's fun. I, uh, you know, I love college football, and I've, um, I, I have ties socially with Kevin Green and Charles Barkley uh, with Auburn. Especially Charles uh, Barkley, who I see all the time, or on a fairly regular basis. Um, and my uh, stepson wanted to go to school there. I'd never been to the campus, but it's great. It's awesome. And uh, my stepdaughter's at Georgia. So we have some uh, a family rivalry going on. That's good for the family and good for the household. And uh, everybody likes college football. So cool. it'll be fun here during the season. Well, very cool. Here, I'll shift gears here a little bit. I know uh, I want to talk a bit about your RickFlairShop.com. This is your new store. Tell me a little bit about what you got going on here with your side project, Rick Flair Shop. Well, um, my wife runs it, actually. It's, uh, she sells clothing and different stuff. Um, uh, actually, I don't even have the full menu of, of items that she has. but. Okay. Um, Shower curtains. I'm getting some background here. Okay. What? 
suitcases. Suitcases, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Anything that has to do with Ric Flair. Or actually, sent a new picture of her from Greece when she was 23 years old. On that, that's a must buy. <laughs> yeah. Dream. Yeah, she's in the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell my girlfriend what I want for Christmas. I'm sure she'll be very yeah, happy exactly. about that. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get it for you, Nick. No problem. Free. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> tell her to just call me directly. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll have you make out the envelope know, to I know, her. I know the owner. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> You're ridiculous. So. Now life is good. Now we couldn't be happier. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, so wait, with the, the shirts and stuff, do you ever? Are you creative? Do you ever come up with designs and stuff for your merchandise, or is that all other people that do that stuff? Oh no, it's all us. Everything in house. Man, that's yeah. Cool. No, Wendy, Wendy and her daughter Sophia, they do all that. Wow. Yeah, and then they bring it to me to look at uh, sometimes. But let's not get carried away. She's going. She's got. Now I have final approval. I just, I just got that because of you, Nick. Sure. You've got, <laughs> you've, got the, you've, got, you've got the Vince McMahon role of Ric Flair shop. Everything goes through you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I got final approval with the talent, the referee. Let me run up by Vince, and I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> when do you see the house divided shirt? Yeah. No. <laughs> Good. No, uh, every day's fudge. Uh, um, uh, too much. You're we'll funny. have two in college this fall, and... Uh, Two more to go. So everything, I, I couldn't be happier. My family's good. Uh, my oldest daughter, Megan, with Conrad Thompson, and they're doing great. And Ashley is, uh, what can I say, the queen. And um, she's great. So life is really good. Well, you brought up Conrad there. You know, I was uh, at StarCast, too. We were all very bummed that you couldn't be a part of that. Like, how bummed were you to not yeah. be able to, to get to do your roast, uh, the roast of Ric Flair at StarCast this year? What what now? Say it again. No, I said, how bummed were you to not be able to have people roast you? Oh, at I know. Castle? God, wasn't it funny? I, what's funny is that I was going to have the procedure that I had done the week after I got back from Starcast, and then I couldn't breathe on uh, Wednesday night, so we had to go in Thursday. I couldn't wait. I could. I I wouldn't have made it out there. Yeah, I'd yeah. have to go. You know, probably from wheelchair to. You know what I mean? Even to make it down a uh, prior to the surgery, walking through a terminal or clearing customs about killed me. Walking when I came back from England after the second surgery, okay. so um, uh, it just I hated missing it. And uh, I, I heard he did very well. I heard that uh, the show was a success, and uh, you know I loved. I was really looking forward to it. I like seeing all the guys and. Uh, um, you know, it's one of those things that happens, but in this case, it, it helped me out a lot to, to not be there. So, um, I feel bad, but I don't feel that bad because I'm finally, I hope in the position right now, physically where I've gotten over the hump. So good. Well, we're all happy to hear that. You know, there was a rumor I heard that you were supposed to be the one instead of Bret Hart that was going to debut the AEW championship at double or nothing. Is there any truth that you were in talks to do that? No, absolutely not. Okay. I can honestly tell you that. I heard that too and uh um no, I've never I've never discussed that with anybody. Okay. Um uh, I'm flattered that I was in the consideration, but I wasn't I was never approached with that deal. Okay. 
Did you uh, did you get a chance to check out AW Double or Nothing at all? Did you watch yeah, any, any of it? I did. Okay. I did. Okay. And I thought it was I thought it was a fantastic show. Yeah. Uh, you know what did you uh, what you think of the the Dustin Rhodes Cody Rhodes match, the son of the the American Dream? I thought uh, I, I thought it was great. I just saw uh, Dustin in Austin, Texas, two weeks ago, and I talked to him. Actually, I talked to both kids after the uh, I call them kids because I've known them both so long. Yeah. I talked to them both after the show. They, they, I thought they were tremendous. Yeah. I thought Chris Jericho was tremendous. Um, I had never seen the guy who worked against work, and I'd never seen the Young Bucks. I'm told I did at TNA, but I don't remember them. Okay. But, um, yeah, they um, they lived up to everything that I'd heard they were and more. Yeah. And then the surprise with uh, John at the end of the show, I thought they did a great job on that. And, uh, you know, uh, they hit a home run. It, it was great, and uh, you know, fans love people love wrestling. It, it's that's not going to change. Yeah. So um, I think I think it's pretty good for the business right now. If you're a, if you are a young aspiring wrestler, you couldn't be in a better position right now. Yeah. How how much of this right now feels like the uh, the early days of the WCW WWE uh, Monday Night Wars back in the day to you? Uh, you know. There's a potential for that, but I'll tell you when you're really going to feel it is after they air their first show in October. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll be, that'll, that'll, that'll start a whole different dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to build momentum. I think they have another show in uh, end of August, September, I think, right? So mm-hmm. if they hit a home run there and they go into October with, uh, you know, wrestling people talking, uh, they will, will will hammer it or nail it um their first show out and then um they've got the right people they've got to understand tony khan is a very smart he's not just his father's son he's a passionate intelligent young man he's not a kid that has been uh his dad's wingman from day one with the jaguars now he runs a soccer team in england and he has been in every aspect of his father's business, lifestyle. He understands it. And uh, I heard that his dad was there in Vegas. He was. And his dad really didn't get it. Oh, he was there, right? He was, yeah. Yeah, and that, that he didn't really probably understand what, what Tony was doing because he hadn't been to a live event like that. But I heard he was just over the top uh, with Tony. Yeah, good. You know, congratulated him and said, I, I get it which is really cool because they got a lot of money and uh, they're not going to be foolish because they understand sports. Um, you know, they just got to, you know, they, they, they've got to build and, and take their time and not worry about um, WWE and um, just do their own thing. Yeah. Well, the product but definitely, it'll, it'll definitely be a topic after they start uh, with a regular program on TV, which is good. Yeah, well, the production's just you know so good, it's so crisp. You can tell you're working with a bunch of professionals. You know, one of the bigger, I guess, you want to call stunts that they did throughout the night was, you know, uh, obviously I'll preface this by saying you're obviously in Evolution with Triple H. Uh, Cody went and made this Triple H esque throne and then destroyed it with a sledgehammer. Oh, yeah. What did you, uh, what you think about Cody's little statement there before his match with Dustin? Um. Well, if you're if you're going to uh, make a statement, he's the you know, Hunter's the top guy. Yeah. Hunter is um, 
a big part of the company. And not only has he been a phenomenal talent for him, Hunter is a disciple of the business. I mean, to the point where you couldn't have, you could not have, he could not have come along at a better time um, in 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 wrestling than he than he did because, and then of course, Marion Stephanie, because um, he's got a work ethic just like Vincent. He's he's the he to me in my mind. If uh, something ever happens to Vince, God forbid, Hunter will be the guy running the company. Um, for the simple fact that he is relentless in his work ethic, and uh, he 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 has learned it backwards and forwards. He's been part of uh, tough decisions, whether they be good or bad, um, and there's always tough decisions to make in business. Wrestling is no different. So um, that's how you get some of the tension. You you, uh, you jump on the guy. <laughs> hey, when they're talking about you, you're doing something good. That's, that's that's a good that's a good saying. This business. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, uh, there was a you know you brought up John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose. You know the the job they did yeah. with him. Very cool stuff. You know, obviously shortly after he did that podcast with Chris Jericho, where he didn't have the best things to say about Vince and the way he's running his creative team at the moment. I mean, what did you yeah, make, I, what did you make I, of those comments? I, I didn't hear that, so help bring me bring me up to speed. Oh boy! Uh, well, John Moxley went on Chris Jericho's podcast and basically said that you know you got all these. No, young- I knew I knew that, but I didn't I didn't hear the podcast. I'm sorry. So I'll go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he uh, yeah he basically just said he thought Vince was out of touch. He didn't you know understand his crowd anymore, and that he thought it was time for Vince to to step down as the head of creative. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on on the strong comments he had made about Vince. Well, um, you know, in all honesty, Nick, I haven't been there enough to even comment on that. But I, uh, I think that Vince leaves a lot of the creative up to other people now. It's my understanding. Yeah. And uh, where at one time you could say he was in total control of creative, I don't think that's the case anymore. And I think that they. Um, I see that they're moving people in in and out and around now. Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And um, this is one of the times in the, in this business when they um, are looking for the guy. Does that make sense? It, yes, it does. I mean, okay. The guy meaning uh, Hulk Hogan, I'm going to WWE. The guy being Roddy Piper, the guy being, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels, the guy being Hunter, the guy being Undertaker, the guy being The Rock, the guy being Stone Cold. I mean, and uh, I think that Roman was going to be that guy. And then, of course, the illness set him back. I think he still can be, but it's hard. They have some great talent there, great wrestlers, but they're having a hard time figuring out in my estimation you know who the guy is and it's not because they're not talented it's just you know they're getting i think cross they're getting mixed pretty mixed feelings and mixed emotions from different people and um you have to have been a wrestler for a long time to see that but you can watch the show if you watch it weekly like which i really i still enjoy watching um 
mostly because my daughter, you know, I look, like to see what the girls are doing on Raw now. Uh, I always watch SmackDown and see what she's doing. But um, it's um, they they usually come out of WrestleMania with uh, three or four really good uh, angles or uh, you know things to run with. And they literally came out of WrestleMania this year, and they came out for the first time in a long time, I think, pretty flat. So it's just hard. You know, Ronda went away. Brock went away. Um, and and then they, you know, you're, you're, you got to move forward. And um, I just think it's um, they had a tremendous WrestleMania, made a statement with the women and all that. And I think the women proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they – deserved that spot in the main event, and then they pulled it off. Even going in the ring at 12 o'clock plus at night, they still had a phenomenal match. The fans stayed to watch it. Um, but the next day, they needed to come up with something as big. And uh, I just think that um, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to do that every year. So does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a tough it's tough to keep creative juices flowing. I mean, when you're doing 500 plus shows a year, you know, and you're dealing exactly. with 300 I mean, I mean, talents. You know, yeah. they're programming. They have the wrestling with you know SmackDown and Raw. Then they have NXT and Hunter. I mean, here's Hunter literally working four days a week, yeah. and then figuring out a time to get his workout in because he like Vince will work out at two o'clock in the morning rather than miss a workout. And then uh, uh, find time to be creative. So, um, and Stephanie, you know, who is the best heel on a regular basis and the best heel they have right now, even not being on TV, you know, is home with, with the kids, you know, which I think is her decision. It's hard to do both when they get to that age where they need their mom. And I, I get that. Yeah. But I used to turn the show on just to see Stephanie. <laughs> and I think a lot of other people did too. So, now you got to find a new heel. Yeah, for your money, you know, who do you think is the is the next big, I won't say the guy because now there's women too. I mean, who for you do you think could be that, that torch carrier at the moment for WWE? Or do you see them? Well, that's just it. They've, they've got some phenomenal talent. You, I mean, I'm not saying they're not carrying the torch. I'm saying they haven't decided, in, in my opinion, who they want to carry it. Yeah, you've got Roman, you've got Seth, you've got AJ Styles. I mean, all three tremendous. Randy Orton. I mean, there isn't a better worker in the business when he wants to work than Randy Orton. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But Randy, you know, Randy has been there. He's been when he makes those interviews. But I've been here for 15 years and done it all. It's the truth. That's how fast time's gone by. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean Randy, but Randy Orton. If you take his size into consideration, his look, you know, it's hard to say Randy's not the man. Yeah. Um, now, uh, getting back to the kind of creative shuffle you had brought up that WWE's doing at the moment, there was some big news that broke this morning. Uh, WWE is named mm-hmm. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff as executive directors. Heyman sounds like he's going to be running Raw, and Bischoff will be running SmackDown. Now, I know that you and Eric, uh, on good terms, wasn't always on the best of terms. But they're bringing Bischoff back in a creative role here to help creatively guide SmackDown. Uh, how do you think he'll do in that role? Uh, uh, I can't predict. How, I think he'll do good. Okay. You know, it's he'll do as good as anybody else. <laughs> yeah. He'll, does that make sense? I mean, 
it, 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 you, when you when you say that, you have to remember that Eric is, is going to work with ten other people. Right. Eric Eric is going to is going to have uh, the job that I have <laughs> when I was like on the booking committee. Okay. Well, there was five or six guys every time. But if someone didn't like something, it was my fault. Now, how is it my fault? It's my fault because I'm Ric Flair. Okay? Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it's not going to be Kevin Sullivan's fault. It's not going to be Dundee's fault. not going to be Mike Graham's fault. not going to be Greg Gagne's fault. not going to be Jim Cornette's fault. It's going to be Ric Flair's fault. Okay? I mean, if I'm the booker, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm glad you called me. We can talk. Uh, if I'm the booker, why am I letting Hulk Hogan beat me 10 times and then bring Randy Savage in to beat me 10 times? Why, if I'm the booker, why am I doing that to myself? Good question. And if I have a lot to say, why am I, why are those guys making three times what I'm making money-wise? Yeah, fair. Now, another question, I mean, Nick, since you brought it up, why are 15 people in WCW getting paid more than me. It's a very good question. 15. So, okay, okay. And no, then, no, but still, if you'll get guys that'll say, Flair screwed me. Flair did, how did Flair screw you? Who didn't I put over? One guy, Lex Luger. I volunteered to go to do it for Barry the day before in Columbus, Ohio, in Columbus, Georgia, but I wasn't going to do it on an event without my contract that her promised me. So, yeah, you know, I cut my hair, but he he owed me money, and I wouldn't do it. So that's other than that, I don't know who I didn't put over in the wrestling business. Yeah, yeah. How do you think? Uh, how I, do they, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I laugh because I'm thinking about people say, "Well, you've lived through airplane crashes and all that. How about <laughs> how about Russo buried me in the desert?" I lost to a match for Hogan in a cage match, but I already lost to him twice. Yes. I supposed to have a, a year off, and I came back a month later because they needed me. They buried me in the desert, and Russo called me a week later to come back out. So I said to Russo, how, uh, how'd they get out of the desert? And then we have, we've we left the black scorpion out of the equation. <laughs> Yet I was the booker. Yes. <laughs> Please explain that to me. <laughs> sure, sure. Sounds like a thing. Just in case, in case you're not familiar with the history of wrestling. <laughs> Man, it's so wild. Like, hearing you talk about these decisions, it just so vividly came back to me, the uncensored triple cage match with you in the Dungeon of Doom versus Hogan and Savage. And that was oh. just ridiculous. What was going on there? Um, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm just laughing. You know, these, these people that have... have Come up with this idea that I was ever the booker. God, it just killed me. Yeah, I was the guy. <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, here's the deal, and I want to make sure I clarify this. Sure, I was the guy that I wanted to wrestle Hulk, and I didn't ask. I just wanted to be in the match with Hogan. I wanted to put Hulk over. I wanted to put Steve Austin over. I wanted to be. I wanted to be wrestling the top guys. I didn't think I deserved to wrestle the guys that were on, on top. And so I said, hey, whatever you want. And I, I love that spot. So I, I only have myself to blame for not the money. I should have said, yeah, I'll go get Hulk, but you pay me the same. Put it in black and white. <laughs> and I didn't. I just wanted Hulk there. 
Yeah. And Hulk, when he came, that made a big deal. That was a big deal for us. It was huge. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, and then bringing Randy was huge too. But I should have got, you know, he should have got ten percent of a booking fee from all the guys I brought in. <laughs> so you were, so you were pretty influential in helping to bring Hulk in. Would you say that's fair? In bringing Hulk in, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say I was more than influential. Okay, because I mean, I, the story always goes that Bischoff was the one that like walked down the street and like found him on the Thunder in Paradise set and was like, "Hey, why don't you?" Take oh, a really? No, really? As a matter of fact, well, let me just give you. <laughs> he, <laughs> Eric, called me in his office and said, "How well do you know Hogan?" I said, "Very well." He said, "You think you could get me on the phone with him?" I said, "Yeah." So I called Hulk. And Hulk said, come on down. Eric and I flew down. And here's where I made my big mistake. We drove over to the set of Thunder in Paradise. He went in Hogan's trailer. I introduced him. I sat in the car. They made a deal. <laughs> and then we got back. And we booked me against Hulk. Wow. <laughs> wow. What a little Easter egg. I had always heard that Eric and, and Hulk had that meeting. I had no idea you were sitting just outside the door oh, in your car. Really? You got to be kidding me. How do you think? <laughs> Please, how do you think you met? How do you think you met Randy? I, I, we flew down to Tampa. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes, man. So, yes. So, like you, so like at that time period though, when you're helping to collect talent, it feels like a little bit of that rebellious spirit, like AEW has right now, where there were a couple guys where it's like it's not working out with us for with Vince right now. Let's try this other thing over here. Do you think that's a, that's fair to say? Uh, I don't. I, mis- I misunderstood that. Say it again. Well, it sounds a bit like what's going on with AEW. I said because, like, you know, you had a couple guys that were working for Vince, and like, it didn't really work out at the time. And so, you, it sounds like you helped to bridge them over and bring them over to a new product. I mean, do you think it's fair to say there's a little bit of parallel with what we're seeing right now with the guys jumping ship for WWE to AEW? Well, I don't know. I, I, first of all. Uh, bringing Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan to WCW was a lot bigger because of who they were in the business and their track record. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Dean Ambrose, the character, um, and um, Seth and Roman were phenomenal as the Shield, right? But I think, and I'm not sure why they did that. I guess with time, everybody wants to go their own way. Um I don't know that Dean ever had the same opportunity. And certainly if he did, when he got hurt, that's when, that's when, you know, things can happen. I think Seth hurting his knee, you know, and sitting out a year, you, you lose. It's so hard to get that momentum. And then boom. I mean, I was, was there, I was there when Seth hurt his knee and I mean, he had to go home from Europe and man, that, that was an incredibly tough, time for him because he would just got the belt and boom i mean you know time is everything roman is just about right there and bingo he he, he has that that um flare up with leukemia and um i mean i actually was in shock when he came out and said that on tv i went man if this is if this is not real that they're 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 they've gone over the boundaries yeah because i had never known and i I'm close to his father, and I know Roman. I think I have nothing but respect for all those kids. I love them all. But I, I literally, I, I, I looked at Wendy and I went, "Are you kidding me? Roman's got leukemia. I never knew it." Yeah. So, um, it just you know, you, know, you 
I mean, I've seen some stuff on, of course, you you had to watch me have a heart attack on TV in Tampa, right? Yes. <laughs> I can't help but talk about things that people thought were real. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, anyway, um, God, I'm glad it was clear, all was cleared up. Yeah, I just thought, anyway, timing, it, timing is everything in the business, and him going back and losing that momentum and Seth, um, um, you know, having the title now, um, you know, you know, my hat's off to is a talent that has really survived everything and comes out every week and does a really good job is Baron Corbin. Okay. Tell me about it. No, I'm just saying I, I, I Baron has figured out a way, anything they, and that's what, that, that alone can put you, and make you a lot of money for a long time. Take in on every, from being a GM to being the whipping boy to doing this to doing that, because he can talk, and he can work. Yeah, a lot and of, he doesn't mind. A lot of fans he, don't like Baron Corbin. A lot of fans don't like Baron Corbin. So I'm I'm happy to hear you defending him here right now because he doesn't get a lot of love online right now. Why Why is that? Give for a reason. Well, I mean the. the the general reason I seem to see think from fans they find him kind of boring or vanilla. Um, I think is the, is the issue there. So they, I don't know. People just don't like him from what I read. Well, I, who who do they like? Who do who do wrestling fans like? Great question. Well, they like you. Um, you know, they like Seth Rollins. You know, I think uh, yeah. our truth is somebody that's getting a lot of attention right now. Oh, I I love our truth. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that, that's that's a whole different subject. I'm sorry. I, have, I I wasn't even thinking in terms of our truth. Our truth is fantastic. That whole thing is is, is genius. Um, yeah, I well, I just think that I think that Baron Corbin has been handed every ball that you can handle him, and he's pulled it off. I mean, there's a reason that he's still there, and I think it's because he you can beat him, and he'll come out and he acts like a heel. He talks like nothing ever happened. Um, I hate that they keep, you know, re, referring to the fact that um, how he retired Kurt Angle and all that. I didn't like that, but I, that's only because I love Kurt Angle and have so much respect for him. But, um, you know, whatever, they, all Corbin's doing is what he's handed. That makes sense? Yeah, makes sense to me. And he ends up, and, and he ends up there every week. So, um, I don't know whether, I don't, I don't. I, I just I, I I he's one of many, but I, I I do respect him because he he doesn't get hurt. Thank God, he'll take any bump they want to give him. They give him every role, and he's pulled it all off. You know, to the satisfaction of Vince McMahon, or he wouldn't be out there. Yeah, and that's the only person that really matters. Honest. Yeah, well, Vince's uh, opinion's all that counts, really, when you think about it. So, I think at the end of the day, it still does. So. Like when you ask me about Eric, I think that Eric is going to be the guy that it will, you know, he's going to have to, um, you know, talk to five other guys and work things out. But he's got work ethic and he loves this business. So Eric will will he will be as productive as anybody can be there. Okay. You know, yeah. They got to look. They got to line up all the talent, look at it, and look where they are and. You know, if if they're if that's what they're doing, and then start from scratch, or 
start to take what they have and figure out how to go with it. But it's a strange time in the business, as I said, because it's the greatest opportunity in the world for kids from NXT or wherever kids are coming from for um, all in. It's just, it's a great opportunity for both. And I, uh, and I think it's great. And competition will make the WWE. Well, I mean, that, that really turns Vince's wheels. You know, you want to compete against me? Come on. Um, But I, 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 I'm very close to Tony. I think Tony will, will, will match up and, uh, you know, and we'll work as hard as he can to bring the best product forward that he's got. And he's got some good people that have been, that have worked in really high places like Jim Ross and Jericho and, um, I'm trying to think of who else. Arn Anderson over, sounds but. like your buddy Arn, the enforcer, could be there pretty soon. It sounds like I don't know if he's there yet, but that seems to be the way. It, oh, it's well, going. great! Well, they're, they're one of the greatest finished guys in the business. Yeah. Uh, make no mistake. I mean, there's another guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. You know? Yeah. yeah don't even get me going on that. <laughs> um, no, really. I mean, but you talk about a guy for finishes for tag matches. Nobody better. Um, I got two questions left here. One question will be a, a kind of real question. The other question is going to be a silly question. But the other question I want to ask you about no. was uh, your daughter, Ashley, Charlotte Flair, uh, multi-time WWE champion. It sounds like she has a new boyfriend in Andrade. Now, I talked to Rey Mysterio, I think it was about two weeks ago, and he said Andrade reminded him a lot of Eddie Guerrero, which I thought was a huge compliment. I didn't know what your impressions were of Andrade, what you think of him as, as a person and a performer in the ring. Oh, I think he's fantastic. He is um, the unique athlete that can, he can be a heavyweight, but he can work with Ray Mysterio. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a phenomenal athlete. And I, um, not only that, he's a very nice person, number one, and um, a very classy guy. But, I mean, I I talked to Michael Hayes. I've talked to Hunter. They They get how good he is. Good. Uh, and he's working hard at it. So, once again, there's uh, that, that's that's a he's a phenomenal tool um, for Eric to have on the SmackDown crew. I think he's one of the, in terms of uh, in ring work, one of the top two or three or four guys in the company. Wow! Because he, I, when I factor that, I take size into consideration. Yeah. There's nothing that that Ray, that Ray can do that Andrade can't do, and Andrade's 220 pounds. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But like as great as Seth Rollins is, his strength is so deceptive. I mean, I look at Seth through this stuff where he rolls through with these guys like Cena who weighs 255, and I go, Jesus. I mean, Seth Rollins can really work. Yeah. Make no mistake. I'm not talking about working. I'm saying that that I don't know. Only the company can put you in those spots. Seth Rollins is a phenomenal worker. So is AJ. I mean, Roman. They've got so much talent. It's crazy. It's just it's hard to sit back, and you and I can do it, and say this could happen, that could happen. But we don't know the inner workings of what's going on that day. Yeah. But I do know this for sure. It's a great time in the industry to be a young young wrestler and uh, – the door is open, and I think that um, 
wrestling is going to be a very hot topic over the next couple of years. Agree with that. Um, my last question here is a silly one. Now, uh, I read a couple of years ago a quote from you where you said you start every day with a woo. You woo pretty often. Uh, I woo a lot in my life. I woo quite a bit in my life because of you. Uh, I was wondering if I could wrap up the interview with us just kind of wooing back and forth uh, to, to wrap up the interview. Would that be okay? Can I, can I, can I do that with you? Of course. Okay. All right. You want to start or do you want me to start? Nick, I'm going to follow your lead, man. All right. Here we go. Woo! 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 Yes. Before we go. Okay. Say it loud and clear. The queen is the greatest female professional wrestler of all time. We'll cut it right there. Should I give you, should I give you a booking hint? <laughs> should I be? Should, yeah, go. Yeah, sure. We don't need to cut it. Yeah, give me a booking hint. Go ahead. Yeah. Put her and Stephanie McMahon together. Is that your Watch Wrestle- what happened? Is that your WrestleMania 36? Is that where you'd like to see them going for next year? Uh, I, I would like to see Stephanie endorse her and where you know where she said like you I re, i've seen some badasses because i'm a badass one of those interviews or against her well uh rick you're awesome you i got more out of this than i could have ever possibly imagined you were too generous with your time uh rickflayershop.com that is the place to go go get your bath curtains go get your mugs go get your shirts uh, Wendy's doing a great job. It sounds like doing put all this merchandise together. Is there anything else you want to plug, uh, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview, Rick? You want to know who the three people I can find in in the business and trust? Who's that? Kevin Nash, Chris Jericho, and Steve Austin. If they say it's okay, they say okay, Nate. I'm with it. <laughs> That's it. Cool. I've, I've cut down a list of people who, whose approval I need. <laughs> it's a pretty good group. Strange bedfellows. I learned more from Kevin Nash in the last couple months <laughs> than I ever thought. Wow. But please make sure that people know that the black scorpion getting buried in the desert <laughs> and make sure they understand that I took Eric to Hulk. Let me see. <laughs> who else was I? Oh, put the mental institution. We know about that. Sure, sure. <laughs> classic. Classic. I, I'm just laughing. But I pulled it off, right? Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> when you were cut- Hey, I'm not. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Certifiable. <laughs> ask, ask Wendy. Poor Wendy's got to contain me now that I feel better. Now that I'm feeling better. <laughs> We're back to the nut house. <laughs> Wendy, thank you so much hey. for setting this up, by the way, since you're here. You're wonderful. Uh, Nick, thank you. you take care. Hey, Nick. Yeah. You yes. want to hear a great Rick Flair story? I would love to. So I said to the doctor, can I take a Cialis? It's a true story. He said, yeah. And he, he said, but if your heart starts racing and doesn't slow down, go to <laughs> go to ER. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what he said to me. <laughs> and 
Yeah, take one, but at your own risk. <laughs> That's where my life's at. <laughs> Rick, you're wonderful. Hey, and I'm just drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> you're you're great. You're wonderful, Rick. Thank you uh, again so much. Uh, thanks, man. No problem. Hey, I'll- you keep you keep the. I'll tell you what. I I read your articles periodically. You're phenomenal, you and you, you do a great job. Thank you, Rick. I really um, appreciate that. And I, 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 I try to avoid a lot of these, but your stuff is good, and it's spot on, and I appreciate the respect. Thank you, Rick. I, I appreciate the respect from you. It means more than you know. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, I promise you. Hey, just keep on wooing, all right? Woo! <laughs> woo! Will do, Rick. My guest at this time is a WWE Hall of Famer, multi-time NWA champion. His autobiography, Soul Man, The Rocky Johnson Story, will be available for purchase starting October 15th, 2019. It is Soul Man, Rocky Johnson. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Rocky. You know what? It's a pleasure. I'm really going to enjoy this. It's a a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like I told you just before we got uh, on the interview here, I finished your book this morning. Highly recommend it to all wrestling. I just I recommend it to people. You have an incredible story, Rocky. And I got to ask, how did you get The Rock to write the foreword for your book? I just talked to him, and we sat down and talked, and I said, just put it the way you want to put it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just write it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to say and what not to say. And he did it. Man, I was just kidding with you. Of course, that's your son, right? It was really nice. Yeah, right. Yeah, have you? Had a I knew ch- you were. Have yeah. you? Uh, have you had a chance to read the foreword? What did you think of what he wrote? I thought it was great. I think he wrote it from the heart. Wonderful. Uh, well, one of the things that you start off with really quickly and becomes like a running thread throughout your whole book is like insane ribs uh, that you and your generation would pull on each other. Why? Why were ribs? Back in your day, so much crazier, I feel like, than anything I ever hear about now. Well, you could get away with it. Like, they would nail your shoes to the floor, uh, put honey in your shoes, show your pant legs together, change uh, the lock on your locker and stuff like that. Then it got, then it got too far out of shape. And uh, that's, when Vince, that's when Vince Sr. put a stop to it. I, I mean, I've had him put itching powder in my trunks. Where I had to leave the ring and go hit the shower right away, and they they thought it was a big joke. But then when Ben Senior, uh, Junior, or Senior did too, took over, that he made everybody cut the ribs out. You know. Oh man, yeah. Highlights, uh, definitely several highlights in the book for me were were some of the crazy stuff you guys did with each other. You know, um, but you know, starting off here, you know, the book kind of it bounces around a little bit. It's not really necessarily a, a completely linear story, but you do start off talking about your own parents. Uh, how hard was it for you to recollect all that stuff and, and be so honest about what your childhood was like? It was, it wasn't, it was hard. I didn't know if I was going to put it in or not, but I said, you know, I'm going to put everything in. So, you know, my dad died when I was 12 years old and then I left Nova Scotia at 14 and went to Toronto and everything started from there. Yeah. But it wasn't too hard to talk about like, you know, uh, my mother really loved me. My dad did too. And I think the last words you said was take care of me. That's my mother told me. And I had a great mother. She was a hardworking woman. And she got a boyfriend. And I didn't care much for him. And he didn't care much for me. You know, he thought I was like a piece of luggage hanging around. So I said the best best for me to go and, and you know, do what I had to do. So, but, uh, you know, I, I do miss him. And, uh, I, you know, they're my family, my parents. I'm always going to remember them. 
Yeah. And, you know, you did. You left the, the home at such a young age. I think it was like 14, you said. You took off to Toronto. Like, you know, what did you learn having to, to go face the world at such a young age like you did? I had to learn how to survive. That was the first thing. And when I got to Toronto, I, got, I went and got a job at, uh, at the car wash for 90 cents an hour. But you got paid every day. Yeah. So I always had a few dollars in my pocket. Uh, I went to try to train in that Trinity Recreation Center because you didn't have to pay. It was just a, a dump of the gym, but at least it was a gym. And then when I got started making money, I joined the YMCA for seven bucks a month. And that's when I took training series and started boxing and trying to figure get in the wrestling, how I was going to get in it and stuff like that. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about your time as a boxer, and, I mean, you've got some famous boxing friends, George Foreman, Muhammad Ali. I mean, what were these relationships yeah. like? Why do you think you bonded so quickly with the with these guys? I don't know. I met uh, Muhammad Ali in Toronto when he was still Cassius Clay. He was getting ready to fight George Vela. Yeah. And I went down to Sully Sullivan's gym because I knew Sully Sullivan. And, I, you know, I was messing around boxing a little bit, and uh, – we got to talking and then it was just like we knew each other for 50 years and then we clicked, you know, and then when I was in California, I met George Foreman. He was getting ready to fight with actually sparred with him because he was getting ready to fight Joe Frazier for the world's title. And he lived in Oakland and I lived like three miles away in Hayward. He used to knock on my door and we'd go running in the mornings. So I got to know him real well, Man. but I just had that urge. I had that wrestling in my system. Man, that's so crazy. Cause and I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And I didn't, uh, I didn't understand why of all the blacks or whites or anybody in Canada that I became a professional wrestler. Then I went back and I talked to one of my family, and they said that my uncle from years ago used to wrestle uh, in the carnival. Uh, wrestle guy uh, out of the crowd, they invite him in the ring, and if you could stay 10 minutes with him, you got five bucks or something like that. And what I heard that, you know, nobody's ever beat him. You know, because so, I, I often wonder why of all the people, especially the Afro-Canadians or whatever you want to call us, uh, why I was the only one that really went on to make something in the wrestling business, you being know, Canadian. Man, it's crazy because, like, you talk about your carnival roots. And, you you know, I've read quite a few wrestling books in my time. You did something that I've never seen. And you give, you give away how to speak Carney in the book. Like you tell people how to do it. That was, that's so like you burned the curtain down there. I mean, were you nervous? Well, no, I didn't burn the curtain. I let the the people already knew. They just wanted to be. We called them marks. Nowadays, you call them smart marks. Sure. You know, and uh, we just learned to to, to talk it. And uh, I just put in the book what I thought was you know the, the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> I didn't you know pulling punches. A lot of things I didn't put in the book that I should have, but I didn't want to get too deep. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, and you talk about, you know, your training here and coming in and how, you know, it's interesting because reading about how you were trained and, and brought into the business, it's really different than how wrestlers are trained and brought into the business now. And a lot of the secrets of the business were held back from you early on, it sounds like. Do you wish there was still more of oh. that in professional wrestling? I'm sorry? I said, do you, do you wish that more secrets were held back from wrestlers who were getting into the business? Or are you fine with how open it, everything is now? I'm fine with it with with them, but uh, what they're doing. But in my day, it was a, a, lot, a lot different, and I think they really a lot a lot of too much showmanship in it today than in our day. And I mean, in our day, they didn't even smart me up. I went to Calgary, Stu Hart's dungeon. I got stretched. He broke a blood vessel in my eye. I I kept going back. 
and he respected that. And and we learned, and, and you know, we were a bond. We were professional wrestlers. But nowadays, you can take a kid 160 pounds and pay $200 a month and go to a wrestling school, and you're a professional wrestler. Yeah, and, and what was that process like for you when you went from, because, you know, you talk about how you're getting stretched and put through all the rigors and everything like that, but at a certain point, the, the levy has to break, and, and you know what's going on here. What was that process like of really fully starting to understand the business of professional wrestling. Well, period. they made first. First of all, they didn't smarten you up because they made you respect and appreciate the business. Right. Stu Hart did, and I owe a lot of credit to him. And after he seen, uh, I mean, I seen them take them retired football players from Calgary and Vancouver and come down, and they thought they were big and tough, and he'd make them pass out, and he'd take them to the extreme where he'd break something, but he wouldn't. But they wouldn't come back. And I, I went back because I figured, what else am I going to do? Get a job driving a truck or something? And I kept going back. But they made you respect the business, which I think today it has no respect in it. And, and they draw fantastic. I mean, they draw millions and millions of people. Uh, but how long is it going to last? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we get back to that here in a little bit, too, when we, we talk about the roads. Um, but, you know, one of the things also, and another theme that comes up, like, consistently through the book is how, how you wanted to be different and how you didn't want to be like a lot of the other black wrestlers that were stereotyped at the time. Can you talk a little bit a bit about how... Yeah, I didn't wrestlers... want... Uh, yeah. When I went to Tennessee, they had them stereotyped. When I, when I wrestled, I always considered myself an athlete and a wrestler, even though it was a work, but I kept myself in shape, kept my body in shape, and I worked out every day and I trained. And I went down there, they had them on TV, eating watermelon, fried chicken, then uh, when they lost their TV because they took this black guy and a couple of wrestlers held him in the ring and they poured uh, a honey all over him. Then they cut a pillow and put the feathers all on him. And then they lit the match like they were going to tire and feather him. I wasn't going to play that game. You know, I wasn't no Uncle Tom and I never was going to be. But then, then they didn't have no choice. It was either that or they weren't going to use him. Yeah. And, you know, you talk. I, but... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just let them know that I don't play that game. Yeah, and you know, you I came in as an athlete, and I'm going to leave as an athlete, whether it's today, six months from now, or two months. And that's when I became the first black Southern heavyweight champ they ever had. Yeah, and and you talk, you know, especially about Ole Anderson, you know, and how he used the N word one time in a shouting match with you, and you heard him use it again down the road. You know, was was he uh, the exception to the rule, or was that kind of blatant racism something you that was common for you in this? That was him. He he was probably the biggest racist. Races in, in the wrestling business. Yeah. You know, but he would let you know. You know, he didn't like me. I didn't like him. You know, he called me names. I called him names, but he never threw any punches. You know, a couple times in the ring, he tried to get stiff with me, but he found out it didn't work because I, I stood my ground. If you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me for real, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. I just he, wondered. He was not a well-liked person in this business. I'm not knocking him or anything like that because I heard he was in a wheelchair now and everything. So, you know, I wish him nothing but the best, but he was just a funny, funny guy. He wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Well, understandable. He doesn't sound like it. it sounds like he was a real dick. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, he was. 14 years. Um, well, you know, it was fun, too, because the book, you know, again, I, I don't want to give away too many of the stories and stuff like that. I'm just trying to take a 10,000, you know, foot view of this thing here. You talk a lot about the different territories that you, you moved around in. You know, how different was the, the system that you came up in as compared to what we now know is like are considered to be the independent pro wrestling scene? 
Okay, well, the system when I came up is every territory you had to have a black, a white. Uh, it's like if you went to Texas, you had to have one somebody that was a cowboy, and if you or or one that was from Mexico, you know. So and there wasn't that many Afro Americans in the business at the time. So I moved around a lot, but every time I moved around, I made money. You know, they brought me in just not as a stereotype. And I said, if you're going to do something with me, I'll come in. But I'm not going to come in and work opening match, and you guys are going to beat me every night. That's not going to happen. And they said, no, 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 that's not what we got in mind. We need you. Because I was in an area where there wasn't that many blacks in the business. So I could pretty much call my own shot. Yeah. And, and you talk about one of my favorite parts of the book, too, is when you talk about going to Japan for the first time, uh, getting to work heel there, the respect you were shown. But you also noted how it kind of it wasn't the same way when Japanese wrestlers would come to the States. They didn't get the same kind of respect you, you saw. over no, there. They never give the Japanese any respect when they came over here. But you went over there. They treated us like gold. They take us out every night to the steakhouse, uh, uh, buys the beers or we drank or whatever we wanted. They they treat us great when we when we left. They they give us a bonus. They would give you a set of pearls. They give you a suitcase. They give you a sweatsuit. And they say, "Here's a set of pearls for your wife or your girlfriend." You know, they treat us with great respect. Yeah, and and why do but you? But when the Japanese, but when the Japanese came over here, it was a whole new different story. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it still kind of feels like that. I feel like the American audience still is struggling to figure out to or completely embrace Japanese wrestling and culture. I mean, it, it's been better here in the past couple of years, but you still see guys like Shinsuke come to WWE and they don't really connect, you know? Yeah, no, that people go back, I guess, to the war or whatever. I don't know, but uh, I mean, you know, you got to walk on your toes and walk frontwards, not on your heels and go backwards. But when I I seen that over here, I seen some. I worked with guys in Japan that were champions and they came over here for six months or a year and they treated them like garbage. Um, now you said in the, in the, in the book uh, that you weren't a big fan of Lucha Libre, uh, but you did really like the Japanese style. Why, why were you never taken by Lucha? Why was I never taken? Yeah. Why did you never take to, to Lucha Libre? It was, it seemed like you, that was something you noted. And I just kind of want to ask you about that. There was no, it was that, I had my own mind made up. I was going to do my own thing. I wasn't going to uh, copy from this guy or copy from that guy. I was, you know, I, I went down to the gym by myself many times and practice and I put punching bags down. I learned how to flip over them, land on my feet. I went to the, uh, to the swimming pool, got on the diving board, learned how to do backflips and go in the water on my feet. Then I did all that in the ring. Yeah. So their style well, first of all, they work on the wrong side. They say we work on the wrong side. They do everything from the right, right hand side. We do it from the left. But you know, their style is all flying. Nobody sold nothing. And, and I was partners with Mil Mascaris. We were champions for about a year in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we got over good because we had two different styles. You know, mm-hmm. the people respected his style when he was in the ring, and when I came in, they respected mine. Man. Uh, well, uh, kind of jumping around here a little bit as well. Um, obviously, you and Peter Maivia, you tagged together. You were friends. Talk a little, uh, talk to me and the listeners a little bit about what Peter's reaction was when he found out that you were dating his daughter. He didn't. He didn't like it at first because he knew that he, wrestlers had uh, girlfriends in every town, you know, and he didn't want his daughter to be in that position. But he found he he, he had. After two, he caught on when he found out that that we were in love and I wasn't running around on her, and we ended up uh, getting married. And uh, 
me and him became the best of friends. We traveled together, we drank together, partied together, and wrestled together. Man, that's a good relationship. A lot of people would be envious of that with their father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot more. Yeah, but yeah. What did you know, it... me and him? Uh, yeah. One thing that bothered me, he was in Texas, and he was a Texas champion. I was in California, and he called me to come because he wanted to be uh, near his daughter and and his grandson Dwayne. And I said, okay. So I went into Texas, and I stayed a week. And he was a champion. So the second week, they took the belt from him. And then the third week, they give it to me. And I kind of felt awkward about that, you know. Yeah, but it didn't seem it didn't bother him a bit, you know. Sure. Um, well, you know, uh, what are, you, one of the things you write about later in the book was, uh, you know, Peter's final moment there. What did, it, what did it mean for you to have him tell you that he loved you be- right before he passed away? It, uh, I can't describe it because I broke up with goosebumps and cold chills because he was laying there dying. And he said, you know, I won't see you alive no more. And I, I told him, yeah, I know. Because I went to see him before uh, I was in Oregon. And I went to see him before he passed when he was in the hospital with cancer. And he said, take care of my wife and my daughter and grandson. And I said, I will. And then I was, I left and two weeks later, I went back to Portland. Two weeks later, he passed. But my wife and boy went back for the funeral. I didn't want to go back and see him after he passed away because he wouldn't know if I was there or whatever. And, I wanted to see him while he was still living, and he he still it was he still had his mind, you know, together. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your son, Dwayne the Rock, very famous man, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You talk about how when he was a kid, he obviously like really took to you in the wrestling stuff, but you know, you were kind of hopeful he wouldn't become a wrestler. Why why were you hopeful that he would maybe pick a different route? Because I didn't want him to go through what I had to go through. I didn't, like he said later, Dad, you were a pioneer. You paved the roads for other wrestlers, mostly the blacks. So, you know, but he said, you paved the road. He said, I don't think I could have done it. I said, yeah, you could if you had no choice. I didn't have a choice. So I kind of discouraged him. I didn't know there was going to be such a big change like it is now, you know. Yeah. And, you know. But I said, okay, I'll train you, but I'll train you. 150% 150% and then do it. And I, I trained him and the rest is history. What were some of the things that he took quickly to and what were some of the stuff that was harder for him to understand? I don't think there was anything harder because he grew up in the wrestling business and uh, when the VCR first came out with the tapes, he he would, uh, we set up a camera and he's sitting in the, in his bedroom, he'd do interviews, and he'd talk about, I'm Hulk Hogan, I'm Rocky Johnson, I'm Jimmy Snuka. And then every night we'd hear crash, we'd go in the room, he'd be on the dresser doing backflips from the dresser to the bed, breaking the bed every night. So I think, I think like he told me, when he was in football, and, uh, you know, and he won the national championship and that, and he said, he, later on he told me that he just used that as a stepping stone to get where he wanted to go make his first step and get a college education and that's what he did yeah and you know can you uh just just to kind of wrap up one, one more thing about him you know one of the things i thought that you wrote about and were very transparent about was like now that he's so super famous you have like a million friends and all these people think that they can just like ask things oh yeah i got friends now i don't even know <laughs> and i get them on me and i get there they're either texting me or sheila uh saying, you don't remember me, but I did this. And everybody's got a business proposal. And all it takes is 50000 
all it takes is a hundred thousand and we can make a million bucks. You know, I said, well, I got a million bucks, so I, I don't need to go into anything because half of them, I don't know who I'm talking to. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I have them. Uh, she, I have them, especially Sheila, my wife. She has them where they're, where they're calling and saying, well, he don't remember me, but I'm his kid from 40 years ago, stuff like that, you know. Well, I'm, I used to be his girlfriend, and, and they still do that today. They'll call her and tell her, well, I'm his girlfriend. I went out with him 30 years ago. Maybe they did. I don't know. But why, but why are you bringing it up now, you know? Man, the shamelessness of people. I'll never, uh, I'll never, uh, I'll never be surprised. Under- I guess, you know. Yeah, right. I'll never understand it either. Um, well, I want to ask you a little bit here. You know, obviously, it's a big uh, time right now in pro wrestling. There's like a big, you know, they're calling it a war that's about to shape up here with the sons of Vince McMahon Senior and Dusty or Dusty Rhodes. Their kids going head to head here. Um, what was what was it like working with? Let's start with Dusty Rhodes here. What was it like working with Dusty? And are you surprised to see his son picking up the torch and running the way he has in the business? No, I'm not. And it was great working with Dusty. We were tag team champions in Florida, and we switched back and forth to Florida heavyweight belt and all that. And now that his son got a chance with this elite wrestling, and I think they start next Wednesday, and they've got the capital and everything. The point is, it's like I, I had talked with them, and I probably could have worked for him, you know, teaching psychology and that, but I'm not interested anymore. But the point is, you, no matter how much money you got, if you ain't got talent, you're not going to draw. But they're smart enough that they're getting these independents and they'll get over in the school where they're going to develop their own talent. Yeah. What do you... So I, I think I think it's, it's going to be good, the wrestling war, good. because I think it's going to be good for the guys, but I think a lot of them are going to jump ship from WWE. Um, one of the things I was definitely noticing as well when I was reading your book, you talk intimately about your relationships with uh, the different promoters that you worked for. For you, what what makes for a good wrestling promoter? A good wrestling promoter is one that treats you with respect and treats you as a human being. Now, I work for promoters that I couldn't stand. I work for promoters that couldn't stand me, but they knew they put my name up there. I would sell out for them, you know. Yeah. Rory Shire says, with Bearcat Wright, he said, I couldn't stand him. But I knew I didn't have to, to uh, sleep with him. I didn't have to ride with him. I didn't have to eat with him. And all I had to do was put his name up there, and he'd automatically sell, sell the cow pedals out, which hold 20,000 people. Yeah. So to me, a good promoter is one that will treat you with respect, give you respect, and you also give it in return. You know, that don't mean you got to go eat with him or you got to go visit him or or stuff like that. A lot of promoters like with Vince, I've heard, he'll tell guys, I can make anybody in here. I can, in which he can, and I can close, I can fire everybody and open up tomorrow and I'll still draw money, which he probably could. I'm not knocking that. But to me, that's not a good promoter. You got to have a good rapport with whoever you're with. Uh, well, speaking of promoters, you know, I thought a really cool part of the book, too, was you talking about being in the room uh, for a meeting with Vince McMahon Sr. And Vince McMahon Jr. was doing a lot of the talking, and you could kind of tell he was starting to take over uh, more control oh, yeah. within the company. Yeah, He was doing uh, he was doing announcing, man, and we were in the room with the meeting, and, and Vince did all the talking, and you go ask Vince Sr. a question, where I just said, and I listened, and Vince Jr. would answer. You, you could see that he was getting more 
more and more and more powerful. And his dad was probably one of the greatest men I ever met. I was there when he passed away. And then Vince Jr. took over. And he had big dreams, which we all did. And he proved his dreams. He not only took over the wrestling business, he said, I'm going to take the world. And he did. Are you a fan? You know, to him, I, I went to Africa. I went to Arabia. I went to Egypt. I went to London. I went to Ireland. I mean, you name it, I've been there. Are you a fan of the direction that Vince Jr. took the, the pro wrestling business? No. No? What, what would well, be your... I don't, I don't want to get into it, though. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. Then we won't. Uh, all right. Uh, I really kind of I got two little things here I wanted to, to ask you about before we wrap it up. I want to thank you for the time, Rocky. Uh, another cool My part... My pleasure. Another really cool part of the book. You talk about your brief time as a trainer uh, for the WWE and putting together... Your son, The Rock, and Hulk Hogan's infamous WrestleMania 18 match. What was it like helping to put that match together? And as you're putting it together, did you expect it to become this huge, crazy, iconic moment that it has become in professional wrestling? I thought it was because we were in Davie, Florida, and I opened the Wrestling Academy for New York. It's called SmackDown Wrestling Academy. That's why they have SmackDown Tuesday night now. Okay. Because Dwayne went in with that. I had that. We brought Brock Lesnar in. You know, just to sharpen them up. Uh, Dwayne rest with Hogan in Toronto. Hogan uh, came up for like four or five days. They worked everything out. I knew it was going to be big. I didn't know it was going to be that big. <laughs> but, you know, they had two great athletes, and there was no animosity. There was no, uh, I'm winning, you're winning. They, they did what they thought would draw money, and, and it works. Man, yeah. That was and Hogan was an icon, and he still is to this day, you know. Yeah, man. And... He had no problem giving my son the belt, you know. Yeah, man, that's that was... that's what you call a true professional. Uh, well, lastly, here, I mean, obviously, you know, you had your big Hall of Fame moment. You know, what was that like for you to to get there, and especially to have your son be the one to induct you like that? It was great, and it was not great. It was great that they acknowledge you that you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. They give you a ring, they give you a big plaque, and they give you a. To me, it's a send off. You know, it's over. That's the end. Yeah. You know, but I knew that anyway. That my, my my wrestling was finished. Like I told him, next time you see me, it'll be in a tape on TV. Do you, Do you think that there should be an obligation for Vince or other? I mean, Vince is really the biggest dog in the room when it comes to promoting. Do you think there should be an obligation on his part to do more to help wrestlers once they move past the ring? I think he should. But this is uh, this was like any other sport. When you're no more good to them and they can't use you, they'll find somebody else. Like in football, the quarterback or somebody breaks their leg or breaks their arm, the game don't stop. They bring in the second string, third string, fourth string. Well, that's the same with wrestling. When you're going down or you're finished, and uh, they always got a replacement in mind. This is like take football, take baseball. You have backups. You have number one starter. You have number two. You have number three. Well, they, it's the same thing in wrestling. They know if you go out and you get hurt. Then they got to sit down at the table, put their heads together, and figure a different angle. But wrestling doesn't stop; it still goes on. Maybe it doesn't draw as much. Maybe it takes it takes time to build somebody up. But they usually keep like with me and Dusty Rhodes. It was here. We were partners. We were everything. And and if I got had it got hurt, it still went on because he went on as a single. And if he got hurt, they would have pushed me, and they would have pushed somebody in with me. You know, so they they know. You know, you got to think the promoters know the business. 
Yeah. And the boys are just checkers in our chess and, and uh, Pong in the chess game or checkers in the checker game. You move, they move, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if fans want to hear all about that, again, uh, we just gave you a 10,000-foot view of this book. Uh, you are very detailed uh, with some of the funny tricks that promoters played on you and other wrestlers uh, in your time. Right. And uh, if fans want to go find the book, Soul Man, The Rocky Johnson Story, it comes out October 15th, 2019. Rocky, I'll let you send us home here. Why do you think people should go buy this book? Yes, uh, they can buy it on, on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it at Barnes & Nobles. I'll be doing uh, autograph signings all through Canada, the United States. You can go on Rocky Johnson, just Rocky Johnson on Facebook. Just You don't have to put .com or nothing, and, and you can pull it up. Or you can go on Rocky Johnson bellself.com and uh, there won't be, shouldn't be any problem uh, getting the book at this time it is my pleasure to welcome to the Winkley a WWE Hall of Famer former WWE Intercontinental Champion J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T ain't he great Jeff Jarrett Jeff welcome back to the Winkley well how are you doing my friend uh, how's life treating you these days it's it's pretty frigid here in Chicago. I mean, but it's not really about me. It's like about you. How, I mean, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Good. I feel great. No, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Um, who would have thought 2019 would have kicked off this way for Jeff Jarrett? The old Double J went back in the archives, dug up the WrestleMania 11 tags, and appeared on Royal Rumble in front of 48,000 people. It's pretty amazing, Nick. <laughs> were those were those really your tights from like twenty years ago? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, what, what is amazing is you know obviously I got the call and uh, you know just in general I what, what's the game plan where are we headed and uh, okay double J I said okay you talking about the original double J yep so you know I'm thinking okay what what am I you know as as you know Nick. Um, I've had a couple of evolutions and, and uh, over the years of Jeff Jarrett from uh, 1986 in Tennessee to uh, the WWF to WCW to TNA uh, to AAA and a few points in between to New Japan and Bullet Club and all that. So uh, I said, all right, if I'm doing Double J, I've got to go all the way. And um, I'm a pack rat. And, and literally, there's only a couple pairs of tights that I've worn throughout my career that I don't have. I save everything. And so, um, you know, last year at the Hall of Fame, I had to go to the warehouse and, and, and get that stuff because they requested it to put out at access. So I at least had a little bit of an idea where I was going, what box I was going to go into. And those tights, um, I looked at them and said, OK. Uh, and then um, as I pulled them out, I'm like, where are those from? And then I don't know if it's Karen or one of the kids. Uh, we, you know, figured it out that those are the tights that I wore at WrestleMania 11. Uh, me versus Razor Ramon, uh, Sean, one, two, three kid was in his corner. Road Dog was, or the roadie was in my corner. And those are the tights. So uh, 24 years later, Nick, I dug them up. Who would have thought? I can assure you, I didn't think 24 years later I'd put, be putting those same tights on, but I did. That's, so uh, wow. that's the story. That's incredible. You know what's funny is to prepare for this interview, I went and rewatched. Your 1995 Royal Rumble Intercontinental Title match with Razor Ramon, and so I I know I'm right there with you in the headspace there. Uh, I was going to get to it later. <laughs> I, I was going to get to it later, but like you you're you're putting me in the space where I see you. You're you're in the you're in the trunks there. 
it's 20 years later. I mean, are you having flashbacks to like then and now? I mean, what's going through your head? Well, it, to even go a whole nother layer, Nick, I hadn't even told this story yet. So, uh, but no, so, so they tell me, um, as the, the couple of days, because I didn't have much time to prepare. Uh, so, so, but they tell me, Hey, uh, don't worry about a hat. Cause I told them, they asked, you know, what are you wearing? I've got that. And they're like, what you still actually, I said, yeah, they were at all a uh, hall of fame. But, but anyway, <laughs> so they said, Hey, we've got, we've got the hat and it's working. So, I kid you not, that is the original blinking light hat. So 24 years later, um, they uh, put a new set of Duracells in there. And so that hat, it's amazing that those guys, you know, hats off to them. They, that they archived it all those years later. So that is the original hat with some original tights. Uh, just my body's 30 years older. So, but no, uh, 20 years older, whatever it is. But no, I... Um, that is is that that's the original hat, original tights, uh, and stepping out uh, Sunday, you know, Chase Field, and and that reaction, and the surprise factor, and then obviously Elias, um, you know, what better number one if I'm going to be number two? So uh, there was some magic made uh, those last two nights. I, I, I'll definitely say that. Describe to me how it felt when you came through the curtain. Everybody heard your music, and they knew it was you coming out to confront Elias. I mean, this is 20 years since you've been in the Royal Rumble. Take me to that moment there. Yeah, and I said it afterwards. Very rarely, as you know me, Nick, very rarely uh, Double J gets speechless, but it was really hard to put into words after the Royal match it, it, because it was, you know, it, it, I, you know, I was as surprised as, as anybody that I got the call and then for it to be laid out in that manner. And, you know, Elias, uh, he's been on Raw, you know, a couple of years now. So he's well-established. Um, we did the table for three last year, and that's literally, uh, legitimately, the first time I ever met him was about three minutes before we rolled tape, and the producers walked up on us literally after we shook hands and said, hey, hey, leave that for on camera. So, you know, the first time uh, that I really got to have any kind of conversation with the guy was on table for three. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I was a fan of his beforehand, but I think he's got um, a, a, a unique set of charisma that goes with him, his aura. Uh, I, I, told, I said it um, last year that, that the one thing that I think's missed from his career thus far, but he's got plenty of time, is that big rivalry. Who's it going to be? Uh, but, man, he, he's had a, a lot of momentum. And so um, – for me to step out, number two, uh, not that there were, were a rivalry by any stretch, but obviously I carried the guitar. He's got the guitar. Yeah. Here we are at the, at the beginning of Royal Rumble, the, you know, the magnitude of this show. Uh, you know, I was on the 95 one and the 94 one. I think 94 was my first Royal Rumble. Yeah. So, you know, 25 years later, how that, how that event has turned into – well, we all know what it's turned into. I mean, it's it, it, it's a mega event right behind Mania. Um, you know, they had an access out there. They had, you know, NXT on Saturday, Royal Rumble on Sunday, Raw on Monday, uh, SmackDown on Tuesday. But, you know, it's it's centered around the Royal Rumble match. And so for me to kick that off with Elias, it was really, really special. Now, now the 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 appearance went great. Your 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 appearance in the Rumble went great. You showed up the next night on Raw. Was the plan always? Whoa, free? whoa, 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 whoa! What do you mean great? I got hit with the guitar, Nick. Do you have no compassion for me at all? What's Look, wrong with you? No, well, you're I'm just another. You're just another sports entertainment journalist who just skips right over 
the meat of it. You don't care that I got hit with a guitar neck. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm strapped for time here. I was trying to make. I was trying to you know dwell on the positive <laughs> aspect. You got you, such buddy. a you got such I'm a good kidding. reaction. Jeez, call me a slap. Yeah, I guarantee you, Tony. I guarantee you, Tony Clifton would be highly upset at you. But but we'll leave that for another day. Jeff. Um, I was going to wait and tell you this at the end of the interview, but I feel like, you know, if you're going to bring him up. Uh, yeah, I, I have to apologize to you. Um, I was Tony Clifton's handler for StarCast, and I did a I did a really bad job, I feel like. I think Tony got out of control. You know, Lawler threw him out. He, you know. he absolutely got out of control. He, he is a, he's a wild man, but carry on with the interview. Okay, carry on. all right. Well, anyway... Uh, so we're going to go to Monday night here. Was the plan always for you to reunite with the roadie? Um, some things are better left unsaid. Um, I, I'll say this. Um, you know, I, I, you're asking me, was the plan always there? Heck, I didn't even know the plan of anything. All I knew was show up, double J's in the rumble. So don't ask me about a plan. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I, candidly, I, I have no idea what the plan was. It was... uh, all I know is that on Monday, um, when um, things were transpired, I knew that there was going to be. Uh, I knew sa- Sunday night was 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 special for a lot of reasons, but I also knew um, as as things were transpiring that you know the roadie slash road dog and Double J had not appeared on camera in a long, long time in that set of circumstances, I knew that was going to be special. And Nick, and I cannot tell you what a incredible moment it was for me personally and professionally for, for me and Brian to be on stage and the, the, the crowds, um, I don't know if you heard the chant, but um, they were saying, Holy smokes, Holy smokes, Holy smokes. Uh, And, and Brian tried to get them to stop. And that's like putting toothpaste back in the tube. All it got was a little bit messier. Uh, but, man, it was a, a, an incredible reaction and a really, a really a special moment. Well, Elias, you know, he he didn't really take well to, y'all, to y'all's moment there um, with the singing. Everybody's having a good time with my baby tonight. Great moment there. And he he laid waste to you guys. I mean, he really doesn't seem to, to like you. I have to call him roadie in the context of you two being together. Uh, he really didn't. He doesn't seem to like you guys. Do you feel like you have unfinished business with Elias? I didn't get to punch him enough with my right hand. So, um, absolutely. Um, when, when, you, when, when, a, when someone cracks you with the guitar um, and also cracks your buddy with the guitar, of course it's unfinished business, Nick. Okay. So, do you think this is the last we will have seen of, of you and, and I, I guess I can call him Road Dog, but the roadie together on WWE TV? Well, here, here's what I absolutely can tell you with, without question, that if you want the answer to that question, I would stay tuned okay. to WWE.com, to Twitter, WWE, uh, at, tw- at WWE, and same on Instagram. And if you want to make it easier, you can go the linear route and watch Monday Night Raw on the USA Network at 8 o'clock Eastern. Or SmackDown next Tuesday at seven o'clock, uh, eight, uh, eight o'clock um, Eastern, both on the USA Network. Does that answer your question for you? It I know is- you're asking the hard-hitting, you're asking the hard-hitting questions that I'm giving them back to. Thanks, buddy. Uh, no, I well, I guess I'll rephrase this. <laughs> I'll re- I'll rephrase this a little bit. Um, it does seem like you have unfinished business with Elias, and you are you're getting active in the ring again. 
if you could have one more in-ring goal in WWE, what would that be? Well, that's a good question. I'll get into that. That's a good question. Um, one more in-ring goal. I, I, I don't know. You know, at, at this stage of my career and, you know, last year, uh, going down to AAA and, and, and winning, um, you know, the, the mega champion, I, I never would have dreamed in my wildest dreams that would have happened. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have dreamed I'd been in the Royal Rumble. Uh, and then what, what happened Monday night, um, I guess I'll say the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the guitar shot. There's some unfinished business with Elias. And, um, you know, as a performer, that's, 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 you know, before I was a promoter or producer or, or any of that, I was an in-ring wrestler. And that's what I got into the business in April of 86 is to do that. So, um, you know, who knows, uh, a couple more right hands to Elias and, and, and a match uh, would, would be pretty special. I'll ask you, what do you think my goal should be? I mean, you're such an iconic Intercontinental Champion, you know, and that's a, it's, it's just an interesting thought for me to think of you taking one more stab at that division, um, but maybe that's just me. I don't know if that's something that's gone through your mind. Who knows? I mean, I, I, think, that's a, I think that's quite frankly a dream, uh, but you know what? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? Dreams can become realities. I'm I'm a walking, talking, living testament to that for sure. Dude, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is it was surreal. I mean, thinking of not just all the places, you know, they say, oh, they would never hire an impact guy. Jeff's had all these other issues, but there you are standing tall in, in the ring. Um, you are here 20 years later now. You're back in the family. I just wanted to ask, you know, what feels different to you now about the WWE since you probably have more perspective on that than, than most? Well, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, obviously they're publicly traded. I left uh, the day before they went public. So I've never, uh, you know, been a part of the organization. So everything, you know, that, that, that goes with that, uh, I mean, it, they're just, they, they're um, not that they were a small organization by any means uh, in 99, because it was, you know, the peak of the attitude era, but, but they are an enormous operation with NXT and, in, in Orlando, one in the UK, um, the international business, you know, India, um, you know, again, at my time at TNA, I, I was worked extensively in, in the international side of things. Uh, most, you know, India properties, the UK properties, Africa, all, all of that. So I know the international business side quite well. It's amazing the footprint WWE has around the globe. Um, when you look at the scope of the amount of live events that the organization runs, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Uh, I mean, it really, really is, you know, I'm from Nashville, so I'm, 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 I'm well aware of the music touring business and Taylor Swift and <laughs> Garth Brooks and these folks and just how they tour and Toby Keith and, and then those guys, you know, the touring, WWE, you know, it's every Monday and Tuesday they put on, not, on, not only is it touring, but it's a television show. So the, 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 the depth, uh, of, of the WWE is, is incredible. They don't have one roster. They, they, they have four rosters, Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, NXT. I mean, you know, now NXT UK. It, it just the size of everything about what they do is incredible. Absolutely. Uh, hey, and I, uh, I, I know we got to wrap this up here, but he did, uh, it, you know, last night uh, Tony was actually in town. He, had an impromptu show at the Green Mill. Uh, he crashed on my couch. I know it's like two o'clock right now, but uh, so wait, wait, wait. T Tony's asleep. 
well, he's, he's not. He, he's, he he he's, a, he's a he's a head case. He's, he's a complete head case. He's banging on he's banging on the door to the studio. He really wants Tony. Tony, stop! I want talking. Stop! 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 Tony! Tony, get down! No, get that off! Get that off! Ah! Just jump, Jack! Tony, good afternoon. It is so good to hear your voice. I had not seen you since StarCast. How's it going? I am not doing well, Mr. Jarrett. I know that you are an influential figure at StarCast, and I wanted to come right now and take this opportunity to confront you about the hostile way I was treated at that event. Hey, that was Lawler. And that goofy guy, Nick, uh, don't even know his last name, but that's those guys. Tony, you're welcome anytime. Anytime. I hope to see you at the next broadcast. I really do. Well, you know, that one really, you know, you know it, it makes me feel good to hear you say that because I'm a very sensitive man and I, I've been crying a lot. I've been drinking a lot. And you know what? I may just do that. I, I think I've got some words for that Jerry Lawler fellow. And if you can help me do that. You know what? Yeah, I, huh. What I think, you know, since Andy's no longer with us, Tony, I think it would be a great opportunity if we had like a panel discussion of Bill After. Jerry Lawler and yourself, and and just sit down and try to break bread, and 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 let's let's reminisce about it. Let's 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 talk about. We're talking about Andy Cohen. No, have a good time. no, 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 no. We talk about me. We have the Tony Clifton panel. I'm not going to sit around and talk about this Andy Kaufman fellow anymore. You know what I am now? Now I am insulted by you, Jeff. I liked you for a minute there, and I knew you would throw hot coffee in my face. I am not going to continue this conversation. I will. I will turn you back over to Come Nikki. On. Nikki, nobody. Come Nikki, on, nobody. Tony, I'll see you at StarCast. Tony, Listen, get, Tony, I'll see you get at StarCast. Relax. I am Jeff. I am so sorry about that. I apologize. That was very uncalled for. Um, what, what you got a fifth of George Dickel down him? What is wrong with the guy? I just, you know, it's what he he has a lot of he has a lot of requests. I try to just keep him happy. It's hard to be a handler for a guy like that. Anyway, Jeff. Oh, sorry. That really caught, that, that caught me off guard. Hey, listen, Nick, get some rest, and 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 if you have to, call the cops on Tony. I will. Get him if you need to, need to. I will. I will. Thank you, Jeff. You're wonderful, and I look forward to talking to you again down the road. Ain't that great? My guest at this time is a three-time WWE champion, three-time WWE cruiserweight champion, five-time WCW cruiserweight champion. He is also the global ambassador for Fight for Autism, a new digital fundraiser that is being launched this Sunday on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It is Ray Mysterio. Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. No, no, thank you, man, for having us on here and uh, for letting us speak a little bit about the campaign and about what's going on in my career. Absolutely. Well, let's talk, let's talk about the, the campaign here to kick it off. I think this is great what you're doing. You know, uh, what led to you uh, getting involved with Fight for Autism and launching this campaign? You know, there's a, um, a group, uh, which is my team uh, from the UK, that uh, brought this opportunity to my attention. And, uh, you know, going to my previous uh, years of, of being in this business, um, I can relate to a lot of kids that have had or that still have autism that are huge, but I mean huge wrestling fans. And how do I know this? Because at many of my appearances that I've done throughout my years, uh, parents have walked up on the line that I, where I'm signing and have either brought their kids with them and have mentioned to me that, that their son or their daughter has autism. But when wrestling comes on, that there's a connection there. 
and especially when they see Rey Mysterio. So I don't know if it's the mask, I don't know if it's uh, my style, but uh, there's definitely a, a very close connection between kids with, with autism that uh, feel like they're free, like they are themselves when they are around the wrestling. So that's how this all uh, campaign came together. And of course, now we're trying to, trying to make a, a change, uh, you know, not just in Europe or in Mexico or in the U.S., but around the world. Now, you, uh, you mentioned in the press release that you've been deeply moved by children with autism and their families throughout their career. Have there been any particular moments or memories that really stand out to you as something that, that grabbed you and you'll never forget? Um, not in particular one or another, but uh, like, I, like I mentioned, there has been a lot of kids that, that uh, feel comfortable around the world of wrestling. And, and that, that just, uh, you know, that, that amazes me because uh, how individually they want to be in their own little world to, to be inside this, this arena, uh, you know, with more than 20,000 fans uh, watching, uh, let's say, Rey Mysterio against The Undertaker, yeah. you know, and they can, they can chant, they can scream, they can feel... Like like they're in their own world. That that right there is very capturing. Yeah. Uh, personally, for me. Yeah. Uh, but another thing is is uh, you know this this help that we're that we're lending out. You know this is only the beginning. So there's uh, not only helping the kids that are autistic, but also trying to understand the families that live with the daily struggle. You know, with their kids or with the other siblings that are not autistic, but uh, the autistic uh, child, um, you know, tends to, to drift away or be in his, own, in his own space. So we're trying to understand the whole uh, meaning and concept behind uh, autism and see if we can make it better. Yeah, what are some of the things you've learned about autism and maybe some of the common misconceptions people have about it? Well, I, you know, that's... that's uh, in 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 an autistic child, every case can be different. Um, you know, some some kids uh, that are autistic might not even uh, would like to be around wrestling because of the noise, because of the atmosphere. Yeah. Others can uh, tolerate it and and feel like they're in their own world. Yeah. But uh, as we move forward, you know, I'm I'm also learning uh, new obstacles and and uh, new procedures to help out autistic children. So this is, this is something that I'm, I'm new at and I'm willing to learn more as we move along. Um, David, are you there? I'm here. Is there anything that you, uh, that you think is, is out there that, that, uh, that you can distinguish from certain autistic children? I think I think one of the things we've uh, we've learned together in in this campaign is that, like you said, Ray, every case is is particular as, and and is individual. And I think the most important element is to know um, that we're talking about a wide spectrum. Uh, so there's there's kids who could be highly functional, quote unquote, in what we call kind of the standard way of of uh, operating in society whereas others might be a little bit more recluse and a little bit more in their own world. 
as, as you were mentioning, Ray. And the fact that it, it's such a wide spectrum means that each case has to be approached uh, individually and specifically, rather than these kind of broad stroke, you know, and, and autism is just this one single big thing. Uh, it's very individual and, and it's very particular. And I think that's one of the key learnings uh, as we've launched uh, this campaign. And Ray, can you introduce everybody out there who's listening to David? Uh, we just brought him on out of nowhere. Can you tell us a little bit about who this is and yeah, how you met him? Sure. David David is part of my of my team, and we've been working on some projects outside of the uh, autism campaign. But, uh, you know, as, as I move forward in my career and uh, eventually um, I'm going to end up pushing wrestling aside and focus on, on a whole different avenue, you know, David has been part of my team for the last four to five years. Uh, that's amazing. And David, what's it been like getting to work with, uh, with Ray on these kinds of projects and helping to educate people about subjects like autism awareness? I think, I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know, as a, as a Mexican kid, I obviously grew up with wrestling. Um, and, and, and Ray has always been uh, an idol of, of mine and, and everybody we work with. Uh, so just working with Ray is absolutely fantastic. But knowing that there's a genuine care and a genuine, genuine interest to help out, uh, to help out particularly kids with whom he connects, uh, I think it's amazing. A lot of people say don't meet your heroes because you might be disappointed. Uh, it's not the case at all with Ray. Uh, the care is genuine. The interest is genuine. And it's fantastic to be able to, to make an impact alongside him. That's amazing. No. And, I, and I should tell you, Nick, yeah. I... I I swear that I did not pay him to say that, all right? That came <laughs> from his heart, so. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing, Ray. We'll get to it here in a little bit, but, I mean, you're a living legend, buddy. You know, I, I got to talk Thank to you, your – I, I got to talk to your friend Conan um, – I think I've talked to Conan twice in the last three weeks, once for MLW and once for Impact, uh-huh. believe it or not. And, you know, the way he uh-huh. des- he, the way he describes you in, in Mexico, I mean, it's, it's like Elvis Plus – you know, you're just on another level, and I don't know that I, – I don't. I mean, I guess I'll ask you, you know, how does it feel to carry that weight around of knowing you're looked at in that capacity these days? Uh, I think that's that's the good thing about me, that I, I don't uh, walk around knowing that I carry that weight. I try to stay humble, and I try to keep my feet flat on the ground, and uh, that, I think that has really helped me out throughout my 30 years of, of career and a, a successful career. Yeah. You know, that I've, I've always been um, very open-minded when it comes down to fans. You know, uh, I don't push them away. I take the time. I, I listen. I take pictures. I sign. And, you know, that was something that that uh, I knew came along with the risk of being uh, famous because I, I grew up watching my uncle put his mask on when we, we would park at the arenas. And he'd walk out of the car, and I was just a seven, eight-year-old kid, you know, walking out of the car with my uncle and seeing a storm of kids uh, asking for his autograph, a picture, you know. And I remember thinking, man, I want to do that one day. So this is this is something that I knew came along with my dream of being uh, who I am now. That's uh, that's incredible, man. And, and you know, you talk about the fans. The fans, if they want to participate and fight for autism, the campaign is is going on right now. It goes on through June. They can donate $4 to get involved, and it's not just a $4 donation. Uh, the fans, they actually have a chance to win a, a couple cool prizes as well. I don't know if you or David want to talk about uh, the Booyaka Bundle Prize and the other things that fans can possibly win for their $4 donation. 
Sure, I'll I'll let uh well, I'll go ahead and explain uh some of the items that they can win, and then I'll let David explain the Buya Bundle. Okay. But um, uh yeah, you do have uh you make a donation of four four dollars, and you have the opportunity to win T-shirts, you know, hoodies, uh, masks, pictures, and uh, some really cool custom titles that were made that were uh, specifically designed by myself, you know, and of course uh, the Buya Bundle, which anybody who who donates automatically enters to win this Buyaka bundle that David's about to explain. Oh. Lay it on me, David. Absolutely. So the Buyaka bundle is, is kind of a dream come true. Uh, so it's basically an all-expenses-paid trip for two people uh, to a major live wrestling event uh, as Ray's personal guest. So from anywhere in the world, you have airfare included, uh, you have obviously uh, hotel included, plus $1,000 in spending money. Uh, you get to meet Ray, hang out with Ray, and attend the live fight. Uh, so like I said, an absolute dream come true for any fan. All of this is included. And like Ray said, everybody who donates is automatically entered to win. That's awesome. So much, so much, so much win here, guys. You get to help Ray raise awareness for autism, and you can also walk away with some cool stuff. Um, well, if I could shift gears here a little bit, Ray, you know, I, I do sure. have, I have a lot of, I have a couple questions here about your current career in the world of pro wrestling. If I could sprinkle a couple of those in, um, you know, of course. how are you physically doing? The last time I saw you on TV, you were relinquishing the U.S. title to Samoa Joe and he was beating you down. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, unfortunate things happen in the ring and, uh, that's exactly what happened at money in the bank pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, for some reason, uh, and of course, when you're in there uh, full action and full adrenaline, you have no idea uh, the referee's count or or if he even, if he's even aware sometimes that uh, uh, the opponent is grabbing the rope while he's doing the pin. But most refs are nine out of ten times they're right on on point and on spot. Uh, this wasn't the occasion, you know. And and after I saw the replay. I did see that that uh, Samoa Joe's left shoulder was up off from the canvas as uh, the ref was given the three count. And due to the unfortunate aftermath um, after winning that title, uh, I suffered a separated shoulder, uh, left left shoulder, I should say. And that has put me back right now on, on, on the bench. So the only thing I've been doing right now to to recuperate is I've been doing some PRP for the last two weeks and slight rotation movements on my left shoulder, trying to see if I can be back uh, possibly late June or uh, sometime next month, July. Oh, well, that's not too long. Well, that's good news for everybody. Then. No. Yeah, that's that's great news. Now, what now? Yeah. What led the decision to have you drop the title to Joe then? as opposed to writing out this or even having Joe like face somebody for the title on raw. Well, you know, the, the thing is, um, I couldn't defend the title. So there was no point on me keeping the title. And another thing, you know, once I saw the three count and I saw his shoulder was up, like anybody else would say, that's not my call. It's the ref's call. Yeah. And, and, you know, figure it out with the ref. But, I like to work on the on the right side of things. So um, I clearly did not win that title the way I would have loved to have won it. 
I got you. So what what was the best thing to do? Return it, get better, heal up, and then ask for another title shot. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Now now your match with Joe uh, really didn't last too long at WrestleMania. How did you feel about not getting as much time as, as maybe you guys deserved at WrestleMania this year? Man, those shows are, are kind of crazy. You know, you uh, you have, and it seems like every year uh, the shows keep getting longer and longer, but, you know, that's the risk you take sometimes when uh, the show might be too carried or there's a certain amount of time for uh, that whole pay-per-view to, to go on. So, you know, it was a, an unfortunate matter, but you know it's it's not the end of the world for me. Yeah, I think I've I've uh, given plenty of great matches throughout my career, where I don't think the fans have missed anything yet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, would you would you like to see WrestleMania cut down, or would you like to maybe see two nights of WrestleMania? Like, what do you think would be something that could uh, could appease everybody here? Uh, well, yeah, that's a hard question. It's, it's something that you would really have to put some thought into it. But it's it's not even a bad idea to possibly uh, do a, a pre-WrestleMania show, like even on that same day, start a little bit early yeah. and give the first, maybe the first five to six matches, you know, um, to kick off Mania, have a good break in between, uh, sell some merchandise, <laughs> and then uh, move on to the big show. Oh, think he's like a worker, of course. Uh, now, <laughs> now I, I wanted to ask you about somebody else you've been feuding with, or briefly feuded with. I thought you'd get more time with, and that was Andrade. Talk to me about this guy, how, how you enjoy working with him, and you know what they're doing with him in WWE right now. Man, I, I've uh, that was the first guy I had the opportunity to face, uh, or to, to do a, um, what, what believed to be a good storyline. This this kid is is awesome, man. I uh, I've mentioned it before in in previous interviews that I, I every time I was in the ring with him, it, it felt like I was there's a certain um, affiliation with how I would move in there with Eddie. Yeah. Uh, that's this is this is how good he is. This is how on point he is, and how he's he's also he's thinking a step before you even move forward so he already knows the positioning he knows uh exactly what to do and how to do it so uh my hats uh go off for andrade man he, he's definitely a future of the wwe that's huge praise to to compare him to eddie like you did especially coming from you i mean what do you think a guy like andrade needs to do to to up his game to, to get that kind of success right now just like anybody else you know uh once you can dominate the the mic skills and you can dominate that English, uh, you know, you're bound to become a star. Yeah. So I really, I, I've seen him work on his English uh, in the past and, and he's, he's moving, he's moving forward. You know, it's, it's a slow process because I know English can be very hard for some, uh, for others, it can be a piece of cake. But uh, once he, he dominates um, his English lyrics. I think he's 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 on his way to start it. Yeah, you know AJ Styles is another guy I want to ask you about. He said that a, a match with you would be his dream match. What do you think of uh, the wow. work AJ's doing in, in a in a statement like that from from AJ? That, that that's a big that's a very big statement coming from AJ. You know, although we probably have been wrestling uh, maybe around the, the same amount of time. 
you know, uh, AJ was never part of the WWE until recently. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was doing his thing um, in, uh, in Impact, where he was at, you know, and I was doing my thing in WWE. Then after I left independently and then I come back and now he's there. So I, I, uh, I would really love to, to throw down with AJ and not just in a regular stage, I think in a big, in a big stage, a WrestleMania stage and, and put it on the line. You know, I think that's, that's one of the matches that uh, can go down for the history books. Uh, last last uh, wrestler I'll just ask you about before getting to a couple of the topics was you had some all-time classics with Brock Lesnar. Uh, he is a beast. He's very violent. Um, would you welcome another clash with uh, Brock? <laughs> uh, why not? You know, I ended off with Brock um, early at his career. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I, I've every now and then I'll go back and, and people post on social media some of the feuds, that, some of the matches that we had. And we were doing some crazy things for, for, for that time. You know, this was 2003, yeah. maybe. Um, you know, and, and the, what you were seeing was believable. So I wouldn't mind going back in the ring with Brock at all. I would uh, love it. Um, what do you think about this uh, Firefly Funhouse that Bray Wyatt is doing right now across Raw and SmackDown? I'm, I'm still waiting to see the the full outcome of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's been uh, Wyatt has a has a very uh, amazing mindset when it comes down to to being unique. So, I, like I said, I'm I'm waiting to see the the final outcome. And see what this turns out. I'm sure he has something up his sleeve that nobody is expecting. Sure. And it's been a surprise. I haven't expected anything he's done up till now. It just keeps getting a little weirder each week, you know? <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. But that's great, though. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Um, talk to me. I wanted to ask you, you know, you've been with WWE for so long now since, you know, your w- time at WCW. How's your relationship with Vince McMahon evolved over the years that you've worked for the brand? I think it's definitely evolved uh, at a great pace. You know, uh, 14 years prior to me leaving and and now coming back. So let's say close to 16 years of being part of WWE. You know, but uh, honestly, when I came back, it, it really did feel like home. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and uh, my relationship with Vince has always been great. And it, it was a relationship that, that build to where it's at right now. You know, it didn't start from, uh, from the moment we met a great relationship. You know, um, I was very intimidated at first by Vince, you know, uh, because I, I knew it was going to be really hard for me to get, uh, an opportunity to perform at that level with that company. Yeah. And, uh, when the belief was there, you know, I put in all my, my effort and my, my mindset and my sacrifice, to give the best and that's what i've been doing for the past uh 16 years yeah um now there's the uh, there's vince's you know ron smackdown and then of course uh you got the yellow brand over there what do you think of nxt and the work that triple h has been doing with that brand i think he's doing an incredible job you know i think uh um nxt has been uh recruiting their own fan base commentating is unbelievable the matches are unbelievable you know, the fact that they can uh, do NXT like any WWE show, uh, Europe, uh, Mexico, U.S., you know, and travel, you know, it kind of prepares them to be 
to get ready to be on the on the bigger stage because NXT is already a big stage, you know, within its own uh, right. So uh, I think uh, Hunter has done an incredible job with uh, revealing NXT slowly. Most of the stars that are on uh, Raw or SmackDown now have come from NXT. Yeah. So uh, he's definitely molding up the future of this business. Now, do you feel like that that NXT has changed the style of the WWE product at all? A lot was made when you started using the Canadian Destroyer uh, on SmackDown, and people were like, whoa, Ray gets to do the Canadian Destroyer. I didn't know people got to do that these days in WWE. <laughs> I, I, I don't even recall me asking if I could do it or not. You know, I've always uh, lay out what I want to do, and, and uh, there's no buts or, or ands, you know, uh, unless um, – you know, something is, is limited and is off uh, limits completely because uh, um, it's saved for something in particular. Then I, I don't even want to mix my, my uh, thoughts into it. But with, with that move, uh, it's funny because when I did it, everybody was shocked that I was able to do it. Yeah. Like, well, what's wrong with it? You know, so uh, I've started hearing the rumors on social media that, that um that they couldn't believe that I was able to do the Canadian Destroyer. I was like, well, if I was doing it uh, in the indie scene, you know, why, why, why could, I, could I not do it in WWE? And I had no idea that, that it was banned or that, that uh, uh, the stars weren't able to do that type of move. Oh. So, again, I, that was just me being me, you know, and still to this day, if, uh, unless somebody tells me that I can't do it, then I'll probably stop doing it. <laughs> That's that's awesome. How do you feel about Cesaro adapting your six one nine? You guys had a little moment the other the other night about that. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed very much watching Cesaro for the first time do the six one nine. I don't recall if it was in the U.S. or or he was on tour in Europe yeah. at the time, but I had already left the company, and uh, there was a post uh, on a tribute to Cesaro doing the six one nine. And I believe he called it the Swiss one nine, yes. Yes. which I thought was really cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I get this question asked a lot, right, man, what do you feel when people do your six one nine move? I said, that's, that's just a, a form of flattery on their behalf to, uh, uh, to promote a move that, that I made famous. You know, I think it's really cool because I wasn't even, I was the inventor of the six one nine, but that whole rotation in between the second and the third rope, you know, that was done way before my time. You know, Tiger Mask was the first one to ever do that move. Wow. So, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's awesome that, that uh, this, this new generation uh, will pull um, a Rey Mysterio move here and there every uh, once in a while. You what I don't like is when they change the name. Mm. I, I think they, just, they should just call it the 619 and say, hey, there you go, Ray. Unless it's Cesaro, right? Then it's okay to call it the Swiss one nine. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Unless you're Cesaro. Everybody else is the six one nine. Um, okay, you brought it up, the next generation. You gave me my great pivot. I'm gonna ask you what everybody who's listening has probably been waiting for me to ask you about. The Mysterio legacy looks to be continuing. Your son Dominic has been by your side on WWE TV. What led to the decision to use Dominic on camera alongside you? Well, when I, when I made my first appearance last year at the Royal Rumble, uh, Dominic was with me. Uh, you know, we kind of reintroduced ourselves and our faces. Dominic hadn't been seen for a minute yeah. in uh, backstage in WWE. 
so it was quite a surprise uh, to Vince and to everybody else that, that hadn't seen him for a long time. And me as well, you know, uh, three years is three years of not being in the company. So um, that kind of uh, reconnected, uh, you know, our, our momentum going into a, a future negotiation with WWE. Of course, I ended up signing and coming back September. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, I would imagine that, that some of the posts that were being loaded up on social media of my son training and, and uh, you know, Hunter as well as Vince and everybody knew that Dominic was on the verge to, to following in my footsteps and, you know, doing what I do. So uh, when the storyline with Joe came about, the question was asked if Dominic was ready. And I said, yeah, he, he's not ready to step in the ring as of yet. I said, but he's very close. So, uh, you know, one thing led to another. Next thing you know, uh, he's traveling with me because he had been traveling previous to him being on TV, just helping me out being on the road, kind of teaching him the lifestyle uh, of what it's like being on the road. Keep in mind, he was on the road with me when we did the angle with Eddie, but you know, he was seven years old, very you know, it was very, very different. very different. Now he's driving me opposed to me driving him. You know, he's, uh, we're, we're booking our hotels. We're booking our car rentals and we're just en enjoying life in general, father and son, uh, moments that, you know, possibly I missed while he was growing up at home and I was on the road. You know, now we get to share together as he wants to be part of this business. That's that's amazing. Now, do you do you want Dominic's first pro wrestling contract to be with WWE, or do you envision him going out and uh, making a name for himself outside of it before you know giving giving WWE a shot? I think it's it's and that's going to be a very hard call because what I want and and is very different than what he wants. Hmm. So uh, the only thing I can do is guide him and leave the answer for him to decide. You know, uh, and that's what I've been doing uh, for the last year or so, you know, uh, just kind of feeding them points and letting them know how this works and how this happens. And at the end of the day, you know, he's man enough now to make the decision on his own. I can't decide for him. So I'll put option A, B, and C, and I'll say, here you, here you go, you pick. I would do this one, me personally. I said, but you, you're the one that has to decide. So, uh, you know, I think he, he's been guided very well. And not only by me, Conan talks to him when he gets a chance. You know, uh, he's been around uh, this industry since he was a kid. So he's grown up in, in, in this world. I think it's going to come naturally that he'll know what to decide when that time comes. Okay, and I'll wrap up here by saying, you know, you uh, you did in some ways open up another opportunity for him because you were in the main event of All In, of course, here in my backyard of Chicago, which led to the launch of this mm -hmm. whole other promotion in AEW. I mean, how do you feel the launch mm -hmm. of AEW has has affected the pro wrestling business? Uh, I, I don't uh, affected, but possibly in the way that that now there's there's competition right. on the horizon. And, you know, competition has always been known to be good. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's uh, something that we're all going to have to face, you know, uh, that we're all going to have to step up our game. Uh, 
uh, as much as talent, as uh, behind the scenes, everybody, you know. And I, I've always said that competition is always good, man, because it makes you hungry. It makes you want to strive for being the best, you know, for me, for my son now, because competition is going to be very heavy for him as well, you know, and they're going to want to see uh, a comparison between my son and myself. Is that going to happen? I really don't know. Uh, you know, my son is, is much taller than me, much heavier than me. Uh, will will he be able to do a, a high flying style like like his old man? Uh, I'll be uh, I'll be very amazed if he pulls my style off, and I think he he can. It's all going to be a matter of does he want to, you know. But um, at the end of the day, um, this is this is great for business in general. You know, we're all going to want to do our best to become the best. And I don't think there's better um, option than wanting to be a best at, at your brand. Does, does this at all remind you of the early days of the Monday night war right now, or does it feel different? It, it still hasn't because it, it's still not out there fully yet. But uh, I'm sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to have some flashbacks, you know, to all of us that were in that uh, era of the Monday Night Wars. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, and the buzz is, is going around already. And, you know, a lot of people are going to either crank up their energy level or, or just feel confused, like, what's going on? Yeah. But I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the other way around. I think everybody's going to want to you know, work hard at their craft. That's wonderful. Cool. Well, Ray, hey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, and again, uh, Fight for Autism, this amazing campaign that you've launched here uh, alongside David, who I know is still on the call. Uh, is there anything you want to leave everybody here with today uh, about Fight for Autism before we wrap up the interview? No, I, th I think it's, it's very cool if you can help me spread the awareness to, uh, uh, and it's not only race fight for autism, but it's our fight for autism. You know, I, if you would have asked me this uh, five or 10 years ago, you know, Ray, do you ever see doing some type of charity work? You know, uh, I probably would have told you, I, have, I, don't, I don't think I would, you know. Um, this finally came uh, and was presented to me at my table. And it's something really special that I think uh, I'm gonna learn as we move along. And what better way than to to help the youth, you know, that are fighting with autism survive and make it a better place for them. So help me spread awareness, please. Awesome. And David, real fast, can you give everybody the website they can go to to donate the $4 and enter the uh, the drawing for the Buyaka bundle and everything else? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you just have to go to winwithray.com. Winwithray.com. You can make your donation. You're automatically entered to win the Buyaka bundle. Uh, you can win T-shirts, hoodies, custom masks. It's amazing, and more importantly, you're you're helping a great cause. This is this is our fight for autism for sure. My guest at this time is a former WWE World Champion. He is a Hall of Famer. It is the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time today. Man, we kind of cuddling on the couch. Yeah, I mean, you're sexual chocolate. This is how I'm supposed you know to. What I'm saying, we're just a little sexual chocolate. Everybody need a little sexual chocolate in their life. Uh, you know, you did come back briefly there at the Greatest Royal Rumble. You know, if you came back, you know, maybe for one more match, could we could we see sexual chocolate, Mark Henry? No, no, 
I, I listen, I told you, if anybody hits me, I'm calling the police. Okay, got it. No more wrestling. No, no more wrestling. I, it's a lot of hugging, a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies. Now, that's the thing is you did the show at, uh, you know, the Greatest Royal Rumble. There's a lot of money being thrown around for those shows. If they came to you and they said, Mark, we need a marquee name. We want somebody over there that, you know, they love these guys coming out of retirement. Could you be persuaded to go over there and do a big match? I, I would say no. But my wife would say yes. They start throwing a little money around. You know, we got to get, get them bills paid. <laughs> uh, now, we are here. It's Busted Open Radio. I, uh, I talked to your co-host, Dave LaGreca, earlier this week. And uh, I know that you were at the AEW Media Scrums. I was in the Media Scrums. This isn't just like a hobby for you. He was telling me that you studied to be a journalist. Is that true? Yes, it is. I, I, I definitely love it. I like people having information and understanding. And that's, that's ultimately what we want as fans yeah. and, and as people. You want to be informed. You want to know what's going on. You want it from a reliable source, somebody that talked to the person or talked to a representative of the person. Yeah. And, and that's what I do. I try to use my contacts to reach out and get the proper information. And you do a great job, man. You know, it's so cool to see you in those scrums because I noticed that when you ask questions to the talent, they kind of stand up a little straighter, right? They take you a little bit more seriously than, like, I don't know, Jamoke Nick Hausman here. So, like, what's it like for you to be in those scrums and talking to, like, people you've known for years but now on a media level? Well, it's, it's really conversational. They, they look at you as a peer and somebody that actually knows what they're going through and have an understanding of where the question is focused. Yeah. It's, it's coming from a good place. And a lot of times the media, uh, including me, will try to elicit emotion out of somebody. And I don't usually do that with other wrestlers. I, I want to give them a proper um, channel to be able to vent as well as give the information that they want to relate to the fan. You know, I was uh, really interested. I, I thought the moment of the Double or Nothing scrums was really the interaction you had with Cody. You asked him about the diversity in AEW. Why was that the question you wanted to ask Cody Rhodes in that moment? Because I know Cody really well. And I know the directive of their company. And that was something that they harped on. And I wanted to know and let the fans hear from him how he felt about it. And, and they got it. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I'm from Houston, Texas. You're, right. you're, you're from Houston, Texas. I'm from Silsby. Sils well, Silsby. Silsby is about, about an hour and a half away from Houston. I'm actually from the Woodlands, so I'm not like... Okay, so you, you're technically up north. Yeah, I'm up north, yeah. I'm of the area of Houston, like you. Now, Sur surrounding areas. Yeah, now I used to go to the Houston Summit when I was a kid. It's not the Summit anymore. Now I think it's like a megachurch, isn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, I guess, uh, what's, the, what's the pastor? I think Joel Olsted. Joel Olsted, yeah. He, he's, the, he's the pastor there, and... You know, it's an unbelievable stadium for a church. Yeah, it, well, it is. It's a stadium. You know, it's the old Houston Summit. And I have this one memory of you from the Houston Summit, and it was, it had to be 96. You debuted in 96, right? Uh, I did. I did. Yeah, okay. Now, I just want to ask you about it, because when I was a kid, I saw you there. You did an in-ring interview with Jerry Lawler, and I believe Mankind came out and, like, had a casket with Paul Bearer, and you, like, World Strongest slammed him. And then, like, a week or two later, I think you made your TV debut. I just want to know, do you even recall what it is that I'm talking about? You know what? I was a fan, so I, I knew everything that was going on in that show. Okay. And it was pretty easy for me to react, 
but I, I had no clue what the hell I was doing in there. Okay. I was so dangerous, man. I was a bag of I was a bag of hammers and pliers, man. Yeah. Oh, you get hurt. Uh, well, you were you were you started with 24 in WWE, right? And then you did you have any pro wrestling experience before coming in? No, I had no experience whatsoever. I was just a fan. Yeah. And uh, Vince McMahon saw me mention uh, that I was a fan, and and they came after me, and. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad he did. Yeah, well, you know, WWE's, you're obviously in the recruitment department now. They bring in a lot of, you know, independent wrestlers, but there's some guys like you were that are just, like, green, you know, that have no background there. Do you... Well, do you it was, it's more... Wrestlers have to be extroverts. You have to transcend whatever sport you're in. Like Bianca Belair. Okay. I saw her in, in CrossFit. She wore bright colors and tutus and bows and... When she talked, she spoke with eloquence and like excitement, yeah. and that's what a wrestler is. Yeah. And you, if you don't, if you see those people and they're unbelievably athletic and it's tailor made, yeah. go get them. Say, hey, look, you need to make the transition. Well, hey, I just got the signal from. Get the wrap, get the wrap up. I got this. So we have to end it there. But Mark, I could talk to you for another hour. I hope to get some more time with you down the road. Uh, best of luck tonight with the show and anything you want to plug promote put over here before we wrap it up please go out get Sirius XM satellite tune in to channel 156 and listen to busted open radio Dave LaGreca Mark Henry Tommy Dreamer Bully Ray do the right thing guys enjoy the world of wrestling through radio Thank you, everybody, for coming here this week. Listen to the best of the Winkley 2019. I promise you the best is yet to come. We have some plans for 2020 that are going to knock your socks off. So stay with us. Head over to Wrestling Inc. Audio on iTunes. Give us a nice subscription, five-star rating. All that stuff is always appreciated. Uh, I can't thank you again enough for the great year that it's been. I'll be back on Tuesday, December 30th. So we have one more Winkly to go in 2019, and I'm going to promise I'm going to try so hard to make this final Winkly of 2019 something really special. So you come back. I promise you we're going to do something really interesting, really special here for the last Winkly of 2019. Uh, you're all great. You can go over to Twitter, follow me. I'm at Wink Rebel. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.